We have a very special guest on tonight, uh, Mrs. Kate Eschbach. She's the host of the Tripping Over the Saints podcast, not Tripping with the Saints, which I've been thinking all day. It's Tripping <laughs> Over the Saints. Uh, she's joining us tonight, and we're very excited to hear about her. We're going to go ahead and let her take it away. But first, this is the Doing Virtue podcast, where virtue is what we do. Cheers. Tonight, we're drinking uh, a hot toddy. A lot of times we drink whiskey or just bourbon of some kind, but uh, it's a cold night and it sounded good. So we're drinking a hot toddy. And if you want to get the recipe, I'll, I'll put one in the notes, but it's pretty simple. And uh, yeah, would recommend. Mrs. Eschbach, welcome to the Doing Virtue podcast. Thank you so much. I actually, a couple hours ago, panicked and thought, oh my word, I need to also have bourbon or whiskey or something. <laughs> and Brian offered to make me, my husband offered to make me an old fashioned. And then I chickened out at the last minute because I was like, I haven't had anything in a very long time. And what if I did have an old fashioned and then I just got giggly and made a mess of the podcast? That would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see if we get halfway through and we feel like, and you feel like you need strength, just go ahead and right. make a drink yeah. and come we'll, back. We'll yeah. take a pause. I'll just yell down, <laughs> like bring it up. It's time. I, I, I feel bad that you felt pressured, but I also feel a little bit proud. Like, I think it's a, it's a good positive peer pressure that people feel like they need a drink when they come on our show. So Absolutely. Um, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, for anyone who doesn't, uh, doesn't know your uh, work or isn't familiar with your podcast, um, could you just give us a couple minute summary of who you are, who your family is, um, kind of your ministry, why you started your podcast, all of that, and then we'll just kick it off from there. Absolutely. So I, um, my name is Kate. I um, am married. It'll be 25 years this summer to my wonderful husband, Brian. We have five kids. We have um, a 23, a 20, a 12, an eight, and a six. Um, there are lots of beautiful stories in there about why there's an age gap that include um, secondary infertility, adoption, miracles, um, pretty amazing stuff. I kept running into St. Dymphna. She was, she just kept showing up in my home in different places. And this was years ago, but I really didn't know how I even found her. I didn't know how she showed up. And then I started to share that story with people. Other people had similar experiences with other saints. And I thought, you know what? People need to know this. People need to know that if this is happening to them, this is someone that wants to be their friend, that wants to intercede, that wants to walk with them on the journey for some reason. And so it just became, it, it, it became this thing that I thought, you know what? It needs to be done. It needs to be said. I'm a convert. So I grew up not knowing about saints. I grew up very uncomfortable with the idea of praying to saints. And so through my conversion and through St. Dymphna and through our mother, I feel like a whole world has opened up to me that has to do with intercession and prayer. So mm. that's it in a nutshell. What was the first time St. Dymphna came up? Was it just, I mean, maybe that's crazy. Yeah. I'll just ask. I'll just <laughs> yeah. I had never heard of her. 
And I, um, my, one of my kids has an attachment disorder and, um, what that is for people who don't know is either consciously or subconsciously, they reject attachment because of trauma that they've been to been through before they were two. And, um, it's been a long, hard journey. And I walked into my bedroom. I was actually expecting Mary Alice. So that was 2014, 2015. And there was a prayer card on my floor. I picked it up. It was St. Dymphna. Never heard of her. We didn't have anyone in the house that was visiting, working on the house, anything like that. Did not know where this came from flipped it over and it was in Spanish. And I thought, okay, surely if I had inadvertently bought a prayer card because I thought it was pretty or something, I wouldn't have bought a Spanish prayer card. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. And so she just, that was kind of our introduction. I did a little research on who she was. And then about a year later, I went on, and I call it an accidental pilgrimage. Cause I went on a girl's trip with a friend and we went to Santa Fe and we ended up doing this amazing pilgrimage type thing where we had no idea how many beautiful things there were about Santa Fe with St. Joseph's stairs and Chimayo and mm. all of those things. And it, I walked around the corner in a chapel there and there she was again. And she just was everywhere in New Mexico. And I was like, okay, I've got to learn about this saint. I've got to find out more about her. And now we actually, last summer, we went on a pilgrimage to Giel, Belgium to find, um, to her cathedral. And it was amazing and beautiful. And yeah, so she's incredible. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And she's primarily the saint of, is it mental disorders? Is that her kind of yes. her primary? Um, exactly. Okay. Mental health. Yep. Yeah. I think so she, I think she came up like once at Christendom and then she came up a couple more times and I've kind of, she's always been like sitting in the back of my head, but, yeah. uh, or just kind of right around, but I've never, I didn't have anything like this, but that that's amazing. I didn't know she had a, a cathedral in Belgium. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, um, Anthony, if it's okay, I'll share a little bit about how I know you. So when my daughter left to go to Christendom, um, we found out her roommate was Kathleen <laughs> now Mrs. Anthony. And, um, I found out her patron saint was St. Dymphna. And I can remember I was so excited. I was like, Julia, you're going to have the most amazing. I was like, I don't know how this is even possible. We've never heard of this saint. And here is your college roommate who has her as a patron saint. And it just, it was just special. Really neat. Wow, really neat. So cool. Yeah. So from yep. that, from that time of <clears throat> finding, finding out about her, um, did you start a devotion to her or was it more just something that like she kept popping up and you would just quickly like, okay, I guess we'll just include her in my, like our prayers. Or did you start adding like a novena or a specific devotion to her? Uh, um, I mean, yeah, I'm just curious. I think a lot of people um, cross paths with saints, but then it gets to be too overwhelming to pray novenas to all of them and celebrate all of their feast days. So to what extent did you really like get into St. Dymphna? I actually, it's a great question. I 
I don't think I knew what to do when a saint crossed my path. I didn't, I just thought, oh, this is amazing and special and she must be special. I want to know more about her. And I didn't really know a lot about novenas. Um, I knew, I knew there were a couple different novenas, but I didn't realize like what a no, what novena meant, what the word meant, what it, what it was. And so Riley ended up selecting St. Dymphna as his confirmation saint. And so here she was coming up again. And I remember, you know, asking the religious ed director, is it okay if he picks a female saint and Julia actually had picked St. Anthony of Padua. So I was like, okay, our family's just weird this way. <laughs> Not off to and a good start. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. It's fine. It's all good. I know he's amazing. And so thank God for him. And so she just kept trying to get our attention. She's so patient with our family. She walked beside us for years without me really even knowing what to do. And a couple of years ago, after we moved back to Texas, I can remember talking with our priest at our parish and he said, I want you to do two things. I want you to say a novena to St. Dymphna and I want you to say a novena to St. Vincent Ferrer. And it was at that point that I said, okay, can you help me understand what is, what is the purpose of novenas? What is, what is it? And so he introduced me to that website, pray, pray more novenas.com. And so got on there and they, they do such beautiful work and they really make it easy for someone that really number one wants to remember and has that intent to remember to pray. But for some reason, just, you know, we're busy. We don't know. We, maybe we don't write it down in the right spot. Just, you know, emailing you every day. Hey, it's day two. Here's the prayer. Hey, it's day three. Um, and it was at that point that he really helped me understand, you know, it's all it means is, you know, nine, it's a prayer for nine days. And this is why we do this. And this is why. And so at that point, is really when I started the novena, started researching her more and more. And that's when the whole, you know what, let's go to Giel. Let's go to Belgium. Let's, let's go ask for healing in person. Let's do this. You know? Hmm. Yeah. It seems to me that something that Catholicism, which is, it's kind of a strange problem to have, but something that Catholicism has really lost is the idea of pilgrimage. Um, I think that, uh, a lot of Catholics have it as a goal to like go to Rome someday like that, mm-hmm. maybe that, or maybe there's a certain patron saint, like you guys did, you know, you want, we want to go to that hometown or that cathedral, but the idea of just like taking off a couple of weeks and just walking, or even if you, you know, flying to get there and then, <clears throat> then walking several miles to get to the cathedral, that entire notion has been largely lost. And it's, and it's odd because it's the easiest time in history to make pilgrimages. And I don't know if that's because you can just like look up a YouTube video of the church and just feel like, okay, well, I saw a picture of it. I saw 360 rendering. Like it's pretty much the same thing. Or if it's just because we're so connected or like, I, I don't know what it is, but it does seem like it's, it's unique now when people go on a pilgrimage and it shouldn't be, it really shouldn't. It should be something that maybe it's only something you do once in your life, but that you're working towards. So, um, and I think that the saints probably more than almost anything are that driving factor. Like I want to go see the saints bones. I want to go see this church where the saint prayed, um, that type of thing. 
but unfortunately it just doesn't seem something that people do. So, uh, yeah, kudos to you guys for, for picking up and, and going to, you know, just to check her out. Like, you know, we're interested in this saint. We want to go. That's awesome. Um, what, what was the decision-making process for that? Like, was it just like, all right, this is where her body is. We have a close connection and we're just going to go. Or was this something that you were like mulling over for years, trying to figure out a good time and like money and all of that? So the Santa Fe pilgrimage, that just all kind of happened. And then I just, I fell in love with the trip itself. I fell in love that we had seen the cathedral with the stone that glowed yellow because the Lord had asked the bishop to go get this certain stone and in the sunset. I mean, it just, it looks like gold when the sun sets, it's amazing. And then the, you know, the stairs of St. Joseph there that it's, they're just incredible. And I know there's a lot of, um, a lot of thought about it right now. And what I, you know, I think that, I think it's still a holy place. I really do. And I think it's incredible and beautiful. And my personal conviction is that St. Joseph either did do it by hand or he was incredibly involved in the process. And then Chamayo, that is where the holy dirt, I don't know if y'all have heard that story. I don't think so. Mm-mm. No. Oh my goodness. So this one, they, uh, somebody found, this was a long time ago. I wish I could remember the year, but it's um, Chimayo, C-H-A-C-H-I-M-A-Y-O. And it's just north of Santa Fe, maybe a 45 minute drive. And they found a crucifix glowing in the dirt. And they went, got it, took it to, I think it was Santa Cruz, which was the closest um, diocese. And three separate times, they kept finding it back where it was. That right, right back where it was. And so they decided, you know what? The bishop said, okay, this is what we're doing. We're going to build a chapel here. This is, we're going to build it over this dirt. And you guys, this sounds crazy, but you walk in to this little chapel and you turn left and then you turn right. And this it's this little room that can only handle about six people at a time. And they still have the hole where the dirt, where the crucifix was found. And you walk out of that room and there are rows of crutches and wheelchairs and bandages just laying against the wall. They've had so many people healed that they have had to take those crutches and take those things and put them in other buildings to make room for the new ones. And then there's just rows of pictures. I'm guessing it's gotta be over 300 pictures of people that have left um, a thank you with their picture of, I was healed here. A a miracle happened here. And at that point, I remember sitting down and I mean, it's just a little hallway and just sitting down and thinking, number one, how have I never heard of this before? How do I not know? And number two, why is the enemy trying to hide this from everyone? There should be a line of cars all the way to Texas from New Mexico of people just ready to be healed. Why is this hidden? Why are these stories? Why don't we know? And that really just sat with me. And then 
we went, I went home and Brian and I had always wanted to go to Rome always. And we had a specific financial goal getting out of debt. Mm -hmm. And we always said that would be our celebration was to go to Rome. Um, we were married very, very young. Our oldest Julia was a very, very sick baby. So we had a ton of medical debt that just kind of followed us everywhere. It took us 22 years, but we did it. And that was our celebration was we went to Rome and Julia had just gotten back from her semester with Christendom. And she sat down and kind of wrote us our own pilgrimage. Like, okay, we can't afford a lot of tours. We can't, we need to do, this is budget travel. This <laughs> we're just going to Rome. We're, you know, what do we need to see? And she wrote us this beautiful itinerary that was so meaningful. And I remember as we were leaving, she said, if you pass a church, you have to go in, do not just walk past a church. Every church you pass, you go in. And we went to Rome for, I guess it was 10 days and just had the most amazing, beautiful, holy, <clears throat> holy experience. Every, everywhere we went, um, I'm totally going to rabbit trail. So my, <laughs> Julia and Nate sang for the Pope, um, on New Year's day of 2016, my father, who is, who at the time was not Catholic went with them. So it was my dad and Brian went with the kids. Mom and I stayed cause Mary Alice had just been born and dad called us the night he saw the chains at, um, St. Paul outside the wall. And just his voice, you could tell something had really changed in him. And he was like, they, you guys, they have the chains. They have, they have the real chains that held St. Paul. They have those. Did you know that they have those? And I remember saying, I didn't, I didn't know that. And it was just another time of why don't we know these things? How do I don't, why don't I know this? And, um, yeah. And so then getting to stand where he stood and see the chains, just, it was just beautiful. And so we went home and I was like, you know what, that's it. I want to do a pilgrimage to say wherever St. Dymphna were. And I thought it was Ireland. I thought, cause so her story is, um, her father was, um, a lesser King in Ireland and he was pagan. Her mother was a devout Catholic. Um, when she died, his elders said, you need to find someone to marry. That's very much like your wife. Well, the only person that could be found was Dimphna. And he had lost his mind by there and wanted to marry Dimphna. So with her confessor and a couple other people from the court, um, she fled and she was only 14 when she fled and she ended up going through Antwerp and ended up in Belgium. And so that's her story. So she was Irish, fled to Belgium. Um, he ended up finding her and beheaded her at 15 um, because she would not marry him. She would not give in. And so her, she and his confessor, Father Garabin, um, they were both beheaded. And similar story, people started coming because the reason, the reason that they found her was she used all of her riches to open infirmaries for people that were, had mental illness and she would care for them. And when she was beheaded, many were instantly healed. And so people started pilgrimages to this site 
and there were healings. And so to this day, there is still, there are still pilgrimages to, to her cathedral and there are still healings and it just is amazing. And then you find out Giel Belgium has become this absolute example for the entire world of how to treat mental illness. They, this infirmary, they, they incorporate patients into the community. They call them family. They employ them. Um, there's a lot of horse ranches and farms where they come in for the day and these foster families take them. They work with the horses, they do farms. And it's this amazing, beautiful community where it's not embarrassing. It's not hidden. It's not no one's ashamed. This is just how you care for people with mental illness. Mm. And it just baffles me before the pandemic, they used to hold conferences there, um, psychiatric conferences there, teaching people how to create communities like this for people that are mentally ill Wow! and how healing it is for everyone. And uh, it just, I could go on forever. It's just, it's, it's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that's it's totally awesome to see the impact that one saint has. Oh, um, yeah. And it's a lot of times I think, obviously, the saint has more healings and impacts more souls than you could ever possibly see. Yes. But then with those like specific saints where it's like, you know, St. Francis of Assisi, Assisi is entirely about St. Francis. Like it's not yes. just a town in Italy. It's all about St. Francis. Everyone there knows about him. Everyone there knows his story. Everyone can tell you where the cathedrals of what he did, where and where he walked and all of these different things. It's entirely devoted to him. And so it's so awesome to see. And hopefully in America, we'll have more places like that where it's like this holy person lived here and their bones are here. And there's this procession or devotion here. Uh, I think it it does happen to a certain extent that I think um, in Italy and, and, um, especially in, yeah, I mean, especially Italy and Germany and a lot of those places with, they just have hundreds and thousands of saints. You have this little town and their entire town is just like, oh, we live in the town where the saint lived. And like, that's their, that's their identity. Um, yeah. And we don't really, we don't really have that in America too much, unfortunately, but um, wow, that's incredible. I have to look into that because I, I didn't realize, um, well, I didn't really, I think I've heard of her cathedral being there, but I didn't realize that there was like a whole like society built around her legacy. It was amazing. And even people who, you know, don't share our faith, they could all tell you exactly the same thing, you know, where she walked and where she lived. And that's the cave that, you know, she and father Garibrand hid in. And it, it's just, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Very special. Honestly, I think that uh, you were talking about uh, just uh, like things like that. And you also mentioned the, just, um, just places that like in Santa Fe with those, with those healings that were going on and you almost like stumbled upon this place. And now you know the story and everything. I feel like in, in Rome, I didn't go the semester that they went, I was supposed to, but then ended up uh, backing out very sadly. Um, uh, But um, I went with my now wife uh, for like five days before she went. Um, And we walked in one of the, one of the things I, uh, coming back, I think of so often, I think it was the last day that we were in Rome and we were, um, we had to go to where they were staying. Um, and we went to Mary major, uh, St. Mary major. And then, so just to, 
it, all in all of Rome, like so the mangers there, you like you can walk down and you can see it. I I remember walking up and being like, what is what is that? Like there's no plaque or the plaque is this tiny little thing. Um, and then even walking off in the church, like off to the right, I remember um, in one of the side chapels, it had this little thing. Uh, like so this this entryway is huge, but this little plaque off to the right is like, oh, this is where Saint Ignatius said his first mass, or like or just something like that. And you're like, why don't we know this? Mm. Like all of this, all of these things have plaques that like the size of an in, an index card. But other than that, like you almost have to know what you're looking for. It is yes. pretty amazing. There's just like so many that you just don't know. It's uh, so beautiful. No, There's so much them. history and beauty that it's like we haven't. I I joke all the time. I'm like, I just want to get a backpack and just be like, okay, I'll see y'all later. I'm gonna I'm just gonna go to Europe. No, truly. <laughs> yeah, truly. I love that. I love Julia's advice for you because that's the advice that something similar. And I'm not taking credit for it. I'll I'll give Julia the credit for going into every church. But there were many times in in Rome where we'd have a free day, and it's like, okay, we you know we could plan we could plan a pilgrimage to a certain church, or we could try to make a certain destination. Like that's you know that's where we're heading. But a lot of times, what would happen is that we would find a church that's a couple miles away and that was the goal. And then we would just stop at every single place on the way. And I remember stopping in a church and it seemed kind of abandoned. Like there wasn't that you could go in, but like it was dark. The lights weren't on like dusty. It just seemed like no one was really there. So I was like, okay, there was some scaffolding up. So I figured maybe there's renovations going on and I go up to the front and there's this tiny little card, like you were saying. And it's just like, and I kind of like translated it. I took a picture and translated it later. And it said, like, herein lies the head of John the Baptist. And you're like, what? What? And it's just this, it's not like, it's not the main altar. It's not, it's just this tiny little, like, almost afterthought. Like, we had a church and then we had the head. And so we were like, okay, well, let's just put it here. But that would happen all the time where you're like, you have the blood of so-and-so or this bone or just a huge famous painting that you didn't realize was here. And so um, I think there's definitely a wisdom to just going and experiencing it and absolutely go to the Trevi fountain and absolutely go to Mary major, but all of the churches like, you're not going to regret going into a single church. You're going to find something you're you're, and it, it really is life changing. And it, and it puts you into this mindset of like just being open to beauty, just be. And I remember actually talking, I think I remember talking to Julia specifically in St. Peter's square. And we were talking about how true the mantra like beauty will save the world like how true that is because you're surrounded by it and even if you don't believe in god or even if you're not all on board with everything or you have questions you can rec- anyone can recognize there's something different about this place and the subway that's mm-hmm. across the street like the subway yeah. is not beautiful it's not like it doesn't stir anything in your like you look at saint mm-hmm. peter's and something in your soul changes like it stirs something in you and you recognize that a lot of thought, a lot of history, a lot of tradition went into the, just in this one building. And that's just one of thousands, but that's unique. And there's a reason that it's unique. And so even if as a person who's not a believer, if you can just get to that point of recognizing there's something different here and there's some, there's a reason why so many people come to visit, like people don't come to Rome for a soccer game. They might, but while they're there, they're going to go see all the churches. And no one comes to America to see American cathedrals. There's a few. But like no one, people come to America to see DC or to see 
like yes. to come to Disneyland yes. and, th- and that's okay, but they don't come to America to just be completely mind boggled by Catholic architecture. It's not a thing. Um, so yeah, just the ability to be able to be in Rome. And then especially if you have someone who knows the area and can recommend places to you, that's, that's huge. Did you have a, did you have a travel agency that you went through or a tour guide or did you just no, lone wolf it? We, so I was, um, I had been, riding back and forth with mountain from the Catholic traveler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, we were actually going to do one day with him. Um, but he actually, he ended up getting stuck in Greece. And so we ended up just doing it on our own, but he was so kind and he wrote, it was like what you were talking about. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to remember. I think it was St. Mary major. Um, is Bernini's, uh casket there it's like just one red rope hmm. um, i'm not sure it could be uh, we were only we were we were we kind of walked through went to mass yeah. walked through and so we, it may have been in a part that we didn't go to it was amazing so he was like okay in this church you're gonna go to the back right make sure you look to your left and then you approach the altar and you're going to see this red rope. And then it was like that. It was, and he, it was wonderful. And he told us where, um, the icon that was it St. Luke painted, um, in one of the churches. And then at the top of the Santa Scala, um, he was like, make sure you go around and you go into the Holy of Holies Mm -hmm. because you're going to see the piece of the arm, of the chair where Jesus reclined at the last supper. And I was like, we have, but he was so generous. I remember just, he was so generous with his knowledge and just sent us this list of like, okay, when you're in this church, this, when you're in this church, you know, walk this way, when you're here, go here. And so he was incredibly helpful. I've never, I've never talked to him. I want to say that I've messaged him once or twice or like maybe he, I, he posted something and I commented and he commented, yes. but <clears throat> I've never had an actual conversation with him, but he knows uh, Father Michael Baggett, who was the priest oh, who, okay. um, who was with us the whole time in Rome. Everything was like in the red zone and we couldn't have mass upstairs and which was actually funny because they were like, okay, no masses upstairs in St. Peter's. You're banished to the basement. And we were like, oh no, that sounds terrible. And then we go down and they're like, so you get to have mass right in front of St. Peter's tomb every day. And we were like, wait, why is this punishment? This is, this is awesome. Like, okay i guess fine but um so he he was he was the priest that was assigned to our group for the whole pretty much the whole semester so he had a daily mass for us somewhere every day and he would let us know and apparently he's pretty close friends with him so um at some point we'll have one or both of them them on but um yeah i some of the stuff that uh the catholic traveler posts like uh i think recently he posted something about he befriended someone that works at the Sistine Chapel. So now his tour groups go in and like in the morning they go in and like unlock the door and turn yes. the lights on. It's like, how up. are you friends with the garbage man or the cleaner? Like, ha- but I, I guess, I guess you live in Rome long enough and, uh, and you get to that point, but yeah, yes. yeah. He, he would be cool to talk to at some point. Yeah. For anyone that is going to go to Rome, I would definitely say check out his Instagram and his his blog. He's got amazing. I mean, even packing lists, things like that. Yeah. 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 He's, he's on top of it and he's always adding 
it's actually pretty funny. He'll post something like, Hey, I'm going to Portugal. I have a hundred tickets. And then like an hour later, he'll be like, okay, I'm sold out. But if you're still interested, like how, how are you doing this? Like, is it just on Instagram? Like what? But, um, yeah, he, he seems to be really, really doing it the right way. Um, just taking small groups, making everything really specific and all inclusive and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, good for him. He's, Uh, hopefully someday I'll get to either go on a pilgrimage with him or at least just talk to him. He, he's yes, he really okay. very much knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mm-hmm. feel like with um, recently, like you were talking about pilgrimages, but, or, I mean, I guess we were all talking about pilgrimages, but um, just with, um, I feel like the last couple podcasts. So uh, like Matt Fratt, the Pints of the Aquinas, and then also the Catholic Man Show, they're doing one. And then uh, I think Godsplaining, uh, which is the Dominican um, uh, podcast, and they were doing, they did one in, I feel like mm-hmm. they have enough people interested in this stuff that they just start doing these things. Yeah. And I'm like, it is a lot of money, but we do have to save for it. But still, it's like, I mean, I love listening to you guys. I want to go talk with you, but also this thing that you guys are doing is just so cool. Um, yes. They're like making it more available. I hadn't, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd heard of the Catholic Traveler realistically, yeah. but that sounds so cool. I mean, just having that opportunity to be able to do that would be, yeah, really there's cool. A, there's a few like pro Rome tours. There's a few groups okay, yeah, that yeah, are yeah. like affiliated with Christendom or if oh, nothing yeah. else, they're just like really involved in like Catholic, the Catholic world. Right. And so, yeah, they're just at, Really, that to me seems like you're just living the living the life. No, if you can get paid to take <laughs> people to tour, like to to lead a tour group, right? That'd be awesome. Okay, new plan. We <clears throat> yeah, we're shifting podcast. the podcast. <laughs> we're going to Europe. <laughs> we're just gonna travel. Hey, it's fine. If you can, month, if you can get a new place, <laughs> we're just like we have this like picturesque thing behind us. That'd be so cool. If you can set us up with the Catholic traveler, money's not. It's yeah, it's not yeah, an it's object. Not. Like we're, it's, it doesn't <laughs> matter. We're just gonna go. Yeah, we'll pay it back later. Yeah. Um. One thing I did want to ask you. Um. So you mentioned, or this is going back a little bit. You mentioned the the steps of Saint Joseph. Right. And you said you didn't really uh, explain it too much more, but you said that it's like contentious or it's it's debated. What? Uh, I have heard things, but just from your perspective, what's is that just skepticism or is that? Uh, is that, do you think that that's grounded in something that it's like either fake or not what they're trying to make it seem or, or what? I, I think, okay. So I'm going to use the shroud as an example. So I think it was in the eighties when, you know, time magazine said the shroud has been debunked. It's all over. Now we know it's not as old as it's claimed to be. Well, now just what, 40 years later, we know that the samples that they used to debunk it, they were incorrectly done. They were taken from the corner that had been burned and repaired by the French nuns. Well, did all the magazines come out with retractions of, oh my goodness, we were wrong. That's actually that when we said it was not true, that's, we need to retract that. No. And so I just wonder if we're going to see something similar happen with the steps of St. Joseph, Hmm. that all of the, the data and the proof about where the wood came from, the center pole, it's been studied by so many engineers and so many scientists that it's, you know, physically impossible. Um, at one point they actually decided 
for safety's sake to bolt it to the wall that was next to it. And it actually detached itself from the wall from all the cars driving by. So it, it didn't even, <laughs> that didn't even help or anything. And it's still standing the wood, the density of the wood, where the wood came from. And so um, supposedly now they've said they have found records of an architect, I think that was from either France or something that used these same procedures. And mm. so it must have been him. It had to have been him. And they found a letter that um, someone from there was corresponding with him. And so it has to be him. And they found payment to him for something. Well, okay. That could have been payment for something else he was doing in the church. That could have been a million things. So I just wonder if we have on our hands another case of where the enemy is trying to hide mm -hmm. miracles and hide beauty from us. And I think my take on it is, you know what, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We're all going to know when we get there. And at the end of the day, what matters is our humility and knowing that it's possible and it could have happened and that those stairs for some reason have touched and moved people for hundreds of years. Right. And that's what we know. It's funny that you bring up the shroud because um, when you mentioned that, I was thinking my mind just started like exploding and thinking about the exact same situation, but with the shroud because um, <clears throat> I don't remember who was on his show, but Joe Rogan, who has a huge podcast, had someone on and they were they brought up the shroud. I don't and I don't know why, but it was interesting that they brought it up. And he kind of said the same thing. It's like, well, it's been like it's kind of been proven that it's a fake and um and whatnot. And I I think the person that was on there was like, yeah, I think there's some controversy about that. Like I don't think that that's a hundred percent proven. And he didn't really get into it much more than that. And I. Frankly, I don't know if he even believes that it's real, but I think he did yeah. recognize that it is very old. So like it's either a, if it's fake, it's a really good fake. So you should at least give it credit for being a good fake. And if it is the real thing, it seems that the evidence <clears throat> is mostly towards proving that it's real. And the little bits of evidence that prove that it might not be seem few and far between. And those are the those are the people that get elevated and those are the people that get published um and it made me think about this really good i'm blanking on the priest's name but matt frad had a priest on his episode for a couple hours <clears throat> and i think he wrote his dissertation on the shroud and so he goes and talks through oh. all of the different like okay the, the, like this theory okay here's why it's wrong this theory here's why it's wrong Here's why the shroud is accurate. Here's why this thing, you know, talking about the height of Jesus and the blood stains, and then we can correlate that. And there's bits of wood that only, you know, all of these things. And he was like, and at the end of the day, I recognize that if for some reason it was dogmatically declared that it was fake and that Catholics need to stop believing in it and all this stuff, I would still be Catholic because yeah. I still believe like it's still, it wouldn't change um, my faith. It just means that there was a group of Catholics who, who somehow faked this. And then for years, people just piously believe that it was real. And yeah. that happens with relics. Sometimes you find out later that the bone or the blood or whatever isn't actually real. Um, but it, to me, it seems to be the same thing with those stairs where it's like, okay, if, if, if they actually could prove beyond a shadow of the doubt that it was not St. Joseph, that it's actually being right. held up by these like secret bolts. Okay. 
and it's still a really pretty staircase and I guess it's not St. Joseph, but that doesn't, that shouldn't change your faith. Right. But on the, uh, but on the flip side, it does seem like most of the evidence points, points to it being real. It does seem like something St. Joseph would do. And the fact that it's still controversial to me, it seems like if it was fake, we would have known it by now. It would have been really easy to prove. So the fact that it's hard to prove that it's fake seems to indicate that it's more likely that it's real and it's scientists just being like, we, we don't know. So it's probably, yes. a fake. it's like that. Well, actually right. that's not really, that's not good scientific deduction. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. if you right. don't know, you need to say that we don't know. And it's a, it's a miracle or it's right. un, unexplained right. by science and not just, well, but no one could do that. So it's probably a fake. Yeah. So, um, and I think that is something we've lost a lot in Christianity where we've become, well, really, really as just as, like humans, but I think also in Christianity, we've lost this sense of mysticism because everything can be proved. It's like, well, that painting is probably a fake. And this thing probably didn't happen this way because it's special. Like we're so used to special effects and animation and AI and all of this stuff that you get put in front of a relic of the true cross and immediately your mind jumps to that just looks like a splinter. How do we know it's right? And not oh my goodness, this is a piece of the true cross, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and I know that actually speaking of the true cross, I know that there has been some really in-depth research done. It's actually pretty fascinating. Someone went around and they documented all of the different P, uh, churches that claimed that they had a piece of the true cross oh, and reconstructed wow. it. And th- the amount of pieces that it would take to make the about what they think is the size of the cross is like exactly what we have. Mm. Like, obviously it's like off by a little bit because we don't have a piece and we don't, you know, but he was like, if everyone had, if this was widespread and every church had a piece of the true cross, you'd have to know that it's fake because it would be like lumber yards of wood. But the fact that only certain churches have it. And then when you add them all up, it kind of reconstructs about the size of a cross you would need to crucify a man of Jesus's height. That just seems, that just seems to prove the point because how could you possibly come up with a scheme and distribute it that way, you know? So, so it's always nice to have things like that where it's like, maybe the study was done incorrectly. Maybe there was something that they were missing, but the fact that someone put the time into it and it seems like the evidence does point, it's like, great. Like, you know, science is, science has our back, or at least it seems that it does in this scenario. So I think that, um, it's not something to take too seriously, right? If someone came out and just totally disproved it again, it, it shouldn't change your faith, but um, right. But it is always nice when you're like, okay, like affirmation, <laughs> we're, right. we're, we're on the right path, you know? Right. So, yeah, I think it is such a good check in our spirit of how much weight are we putting in to these things versus the Eucharist mm. or, you know, any, but, and I think it's a good check, but I think we can also be too careful with just giving the Lord our, our love and our belief. And, and I think about like, you know, St. Helen and how, how they went about finding all of those relics and how they were hidden and buried. And so that actually protected them. And, you know, when you know, when you start to know, and that, that is what just truly continues to blow me away about the Catholic church is the history. And it, the more you learn, the more you realize I have so much to learn. There's so much that happened before 1500 (laughs) that I have never been exposed to. And I feel like I could just go study every day and still not know even just 
a little bit of all the beauty and all the history and the devotion and yeah yeah well there there was a um in rome i remember this one uh church that we went into i'm not 100 sure where it was i think it was close to um uh well actually hmm. uh, i actually can't remember exactly where it was but i just remember walking into this little church um and really dark it was kind of around sunset so um it, it was it was pretty dark in there and there were only candles all the way around and um they had probably about three um uh i guess small altars off to the left and right um and the first one off to the right i remember walking down and then coming back and kind of looking in this and they had this um the altar in the back and then right up above it kind of in the middle they had this kind of picture it was a picture of our lady um with uh, I, i'm pretty sure with maybe it was just our lady's face but it could have it most likely was our lady with with jesus um and they had lights on it and i was kind of like oh that's kind of cool i mean someone painted that that's cool and then i look off to the right and there's this like fountain i'm like what the like people are like grabbing water from it in the, in this little tiny like grabbing water from, from it and drinking it and so I looked down and then um uh and there's there was a again tiny little plaque and then they also had a prayer card off to the left um and I remember sitting or I remember kneeling down and grabbing the prayer card and it explained what happened um and supposedly it was a um right where the water is um now was a uh was a well in on this um i think this cardinal's land or something like way back in the day i'm not sure exactly when um but it was just this kind of like kind of i don't know how much land he had but it was a ton and there was he was walking by this well one day and there was water welling up just like out of nowhere just well and just like coming up uh, all over the sides and everything and then he goes and walks over by it and then it was that that like picture of our lady that came up out of the water and then he took it out of the water and the water subsided <laughs> and so now like they they were like we got to build a church over here so they built i'm not sure as why, you do yeah, yeah. exactly and I'm like, as you do right, right right and so i guess i'm not 100 sure why it's the it was the side altar but maybe there was something else that happened up at the front but it was like they uh so the water was with the, the little faucet was supposedly from the same well um, and so people could, there have been like recorded miracles from that water. Oh, and then this, and the, like the plaque of our lady is sitting up there. And I was kind of like, I'm not sure what this is. And from afar, it literally just looked like someone painted it onto this little tiny rock. Um, but like, and then there's this whole story behind it and who knows how long, like, I can't remember the day of how, like how long when it's it been was. there. Yeah. yeah. But, but just this, like, yeah, there, there are miracles that, you can always see the, I guess, uh, the tree by its fruits. Like, you know, mm. the tree by its fruits. And yes. a lot of the time for a lot of these things, um, like with this one, there are miracles that are with it, uh, or, um, our lady of Fatima, there are miracles with it or lady of Lords, there are miracles. So it's just kind of all yep. these things that, yeah, people are going to be like, nah, no, it was this, or like, this is happening because, of, or it's just like this person actually didn't have any ailments. They just went and wanted, uh, like wanted all the news or whatever. And it's like, no, like they're not the only one. There have been so many people that yeah. have been affected by this. Yes. Um, and I feel like that it, along with that, along with the history, um, again, going back, just like the manger in, uh, in, uh, St. Mary major, I'm pretty sure there have been multiple saints who have, uh, had Jesus as a baby appear to them. 
like around this. Uh, like, I mean, mm. just amazing. And so like, maybe it, it's not, maybe it isn't like the actual manger, but, and, and who knows like what the reasoning behind it is, but like our Lord has deemed it necessary to like appear to saints around yeah. this. So I don't know. It's just mm-hmm. uh, the people can be uh, uh, skeptical all they want, but I mean, again, you got to look at its fruits, and there have been a lot of fruits in our in, yeah. in our history. So yeah, I don't know. Doesn't don't it make know. you want to just go sit in that church, be like, okay, Lord, I'm just gonna sit here, and you just let me know when. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, truly. I'm just gonna hang out. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's so neat to think about this. Could, this could be like a whole episode in of itself to think about all of the different ways that the saints manifest themselves. Mm-hmm. So you have. <clears throat> things like, you know, stories like people from you or from people like you who just had this experience with an unknown saint you didn't know before experience. And then it's just like totally shifted your view of of uh, devotion to the saints or at least devotion to that specific saint. And that's just a like one to one, you know, saint to believer. But then you have other saints where they their relics travel. OK, so that's a different type of experience. And then you have mm-hmm. the shroud or the tilma or these different like supernatural we don't we can't explain how they were created if they are fake we don't know how they're fake um type things and then it extends to healings and extends to then you have visions and and it just keeps building to this point where you're like anyone from the outside has to think that we're crazy yes (laughs) because even sometimes as catholics we're like that can't that can't happen but then you just get hit by this like wow saint Januarius is blood liquefied what is that about? Can anyone explain that? No. Okay. So do we either no. do we either just say that it's an elaborate prank that's faked every single year or almost every time. single year on the same time, yeah. or is it something that we have to say, no, this is just something that is faith, and we don't need this to get to heaven. We don't need to believe this to get to heaven, but it really helps <laughs> to have that. You have Eucharistic miracles. Do you have to believe them? Not necessarily, but why would you not? Like, why would you not buy all in and then, and then say, okay, maybe this one didn't happen and try to reason through it, but just use it to strengthen your faith. Don't use it for a reason to say, okay, this is another reason why the church isn't real or why, why they're wrong on things. Because I don't think this particular saint did this or this particular miracle is legitimate. Use it as like, I think people need to use it as fuel more than this is another reason why I'm not Catholic, you know? Um, so speaking of which you mentioned that you were a convert. How did that whole process come about? Oh my goodness. Okay. So it was college. Okay. Um, I am an Aggie, Texas A&M. <laughs> nice. Um, and they have, um, they have an incredible, incredible, incredible Newman center that is just on fire. And so when I went away to college, I, um, so my Christian history is, when I was very young, we went to, um, an evangelical mega church. Um, it was in Dallas. It was unfortunately one of the ones that was found to be when the pastor was found to be embezzling. And it was really hard on my family. My dad was on the elders. Um, it was this amazing church with amazing worship that it really rocked my parents' world when that all fell apart. And, um, I was in second grade. We found a Methodist church down the street that, um, worked for us, 
had a great music ministry was my parents became the Bible study leads. Um, I was in youth group. I was in choir. It was to this day. I know that my music minister and my youth group leader had huge impacts on my formation in a beautiful, amazing way. Um, lots of amazing fruit from that church went off to college and realized I didn't have a church home anymore (laughs) that I hadn't thought about that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I started visiting different churches, trying to find, find my place. And I couldn't find a place I couldn't find. It was the first time that I really started to understand that different Protestant denominations have different creeds. And I had never really thought about that before. Um, cause in the Methodist church, we use the Nicene creed. And so we say that at the beginning of every service. And so I just thought that's, that's what we all believe, right? That's, mm-hmm. it does, isn't that what everybody does? And, um, it, it, it really left me on this very shaky ground of wait, if I don't know exactly what you believe and you can't tell me exactly what you believe, then I don't how, what am I doing going to church there? Mm. And my, um, one of my roommates was Catholic and Brian and I were very, very good friends. We knew each other in high school and they just both said, Hey, if you want to come to mass with us, you're, you're welcome to. And I was like, Oh, I, mm-mm, I'm not Catholic. I'm like, no, cause I was raised where Catholicism is really, you know, it's like a cult, you know, <laughs> like you don't, you're, you, you shouldn't be Catholic. They worship Mary. And, so don't, don't did do you have reason to believe that? Like, did you have Catholic friends that you thought were really uh-uh. weird? Okay. That's just what I had been taught okay. that I didn't have any reason to believe that other than that's what I had been taught. Um, is that, um, I was taught that they worshiped Mary, that they believed the Pope was completely infallible in everything he said. Um, and that they pray to the dead. And so you can't, you cannot go to church there. And so I, I was like, no, no, can't do that. And I remember there was one day and they were having mass on campus and we were all going to lunch together after. And I was like, fine, I'll just go to mass with them. That way we can just go straight to lunch. It's fine. I'll just sit in the back. And it was so much like the liturgy that I was used to that I thought, well, uh, huh, this can't be all that. It's it's very familiar. It's very, very familiar. And so I started going to different, different events with them and, um, and then started going to, to daily mass with them and started going to mass. And they were just both very gentle with me. They never, ever made me feel like I wasn't a Christian or I didn't know Christ. They never made me feel that way. They never, and they answered every question that I had. And that's when the wheels started to come off was this unraveling of, well, wait, you don't worship Mary. Well, what do you, but you pray to her? Well, yes, but we don't mean the word pray the way you mean the word pray. It it means literally we talk to her. We have a conversation. We ask her for intercession and that 
oh, that was, it just all started to unravel. I think apostolic succession was the very first thing that really unraveled for me. And when they started to give scripture back to me about, I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't use scripture against me. I'm Protestant. Like I'm the one who knows scripture. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And then I remember being in my first mass and here they were reading an old Testament, a Psalms, a new Testament, a gospel. And I was like, but wait, you, you guys are Catholic. You don't do scripture. What are you doing? And that, so it just was this really gentle, slow process of unlearning what I had learned about Catholics. And, um, at one point, Brian and I had started dating by then. And he pulled me aside and said, Hey, you need to know I'm going to raise my kids Catholic. And I would really appreciate it if you went to RCIA because I would like to keep dating you, but you need to know, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to RCIA, but I am not becoming Catholic. So just, you know, (laughs) that's fine. And then my second RCIA class, um, the priest looked at me and he said, Katie, you're already Catholic. So what are your questions? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> you <And> so, papist. <laughs> I know. I know. And so then by, you know, by Easter, I was trying on my dress and taking my first communion. So. Wow. That is so cool. I've, I've heard, the, is it Methodist? I think it's mm-hmm. Methodist. I've heard, um, I was actually talking to someone on the, uh, I'm, I guess long story. I started talking with this guy who was, um, who was Methodist and it, I'm pretty sure they say, even he said it, he's like, yeah, we're just watered down Catholic. Is that, uh, I mean, so it is, it is, it, I don't know, saying that mm-hmm. and then also thinking that like, but no Catholics are bad. So I don't know, it, it, like, did you ever think that? Did you ever like say that to other people that like, oh yeah, we're like, we do the same thing you guys do, but just like, but it's not as like, it's not as hardcore. I, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as cultish, I didn't I guess. know how similar it was until okay. after I went to mass. I okay. didn't realize. Um, so the church that I grew up in, um, they, <laughs> there were many people that believed it was the body and the blood. And that when we, uh, with intinction, have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. So when you take the bread and you dip it in the wine, that's when it becomes the body of Christ. And so, yeah, that was, did they think that 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 happened for, for that happens for each individual person. So it's bread and wine, but once that particular host is dipped and like placed onto the communicant's tongue, that's when consecration and transubstantiation yeah interesting so interesting okay yeah wow yeah so it was hard i think apostolic succession for me was one of the hardest things to learn and let go of um that was a big process for me hmm. um mary was i can remember standing at the back of saint mary's in college station texas and literally telling mary I don't understand and I don't agree. And I don't know if I ever will. I don't, I don't get it, but many people wiser than me for hundreds of years have, have believed and I'm going to believe, but if you could just help me and just show me, that'd be great. She was like my last hurdle Mm -hmm. and boy, did she, she came through. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. 
I'm trying to remember if it's a book or a podcast that I'm thinking of, <clears throat> but I remember, I want to give credit to Matt Frad, but I don't know if it was him, but I remember him having someone on who is a former Protestant and they kind of outlined a very similar thing where they're like, for most Protestants, it's not, you know, some of it is biblical disagreement on how to interpret certain things, but and I, and I actually hadn't heard the praying to the dead. That does make sense that that would be problematic, but it seems like the major the major ones are all the ones that you dealt with. Like, I don't understand yeah. the praying to Mary thing. And I think a lot of that's pumped up. Like, yeah. <clears throat> it's mostly a misunderstanding. It's not just a difficult truth. It's just a yeah. misunderstanding. So once you understand totally. the approach and you see, okay, Latria, Dulia, oh, I see. There's a lot, like, the, the church has spoken on this and the church does know what it's talking about. They're not telling us to go, you know, go to Mary over Jesus. It's go right. to Jesus through or with through Mary or with Mary. Um, and then you have like the papacy and it seems like beyond that, really the only other big hurdle, depending on what type of Protestant you are is the Eucharist. Because yeah. if you, and for you, it seems like that almost wasn't a huge issue because you already mm -hmm. thought it was the Eucharist beforehand. So then when you become Catholic, you're like, Oh, okay. So this is like, this is like actually what I believed, <laughs> yeah. but not, because I, I would, I think for me, that would be the biggest thing because once you understand, okay, the Pope is infallible, but it's a very specific thing. And here's, here's right. what he's infallible on. Here's what he's not. And here's tradition. And then, okay, Mary, it's, it's not, go, it's not elevating her above God. It's just ele elevating her above all other things. And she's a media, the mediatrix of grace. It seems to me the big hurdle would be, I don't understand because I think even a lot of Catholics still, it's just faith. It's like, I, I know it's Christ's body but I don't understand how because it's a mystery. And I, yeah. I think if you think about it too much, you might start doubting it. And so it's almost something that you're like, I'm just going to take it for granted and run with the Eucharistic miracles and just pray for the grace to keep believing and to, for the, for God to increase my belief and not do much more than that. But it's interesting that that already was like fine. Like with you, that yeah. wasn't something that it was like a huge hurdle. Um, it was, it wasn't. And looking back, I think, Looking back, I wonder, I sometimes I wonder how it wasn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think especially when people would use scripture in, to explain something, it would really catch me off guard because I really, you yeah. know, I grew up my first through fifth grade. I went to a Baptist private school we would do the sword drills where they would yell out a Bible verse and you would have to like the first person to recite it would win, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, so I really thought that I knew scripture better than any Catholic, no problem. And when they would use scripture to come back and say, well, you know, this is actually what it says that, that really caught me off guard. And I think because they did it in a gentle way and not like, well, that's wrong. Da, 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 you know, mm -hmm. I think that really, that helped me that with my personality and how I took it and that they were just very, very humble about it. You know, I feel like yeah. one, one of the things I feel like, um, uh, with, I mean, obviously as Catholics, we know, and you and definitely had a good experience with other Catholics knowing their, uh, like, knowing the Bible and knowing where yeah. things, where the, I guess the grounding is in the, um, just in whatever part of the new Testament or whatever part of the old Testament. Um, I do think 
part there's I think maybe Matt Fred has talked about this a couple times in his podcast, but uh, maybe it's another podcast. But um, we're fans, if you can't tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am too. So it's all good. Yeah. I'm watching his um, Shane Smith one right now. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so okay. good. My, so good. my siblings Ooh. were just sending it over. I, I haven't listened to it, but yeah. <laughs> I need to. So good. Yeah. Um, I feel like, but just with Protestants, one of the things that um, I think as Catholics, so you, you say that like in, in a, uh, like when you went to uh, like the Baptist elementary school and you were like doing these like competitions uh, with the Bible verses, I'm not saying, I don't think we should do exactly that, but I do think <laughs> like, a lot of the time there are Catholics who don't know the Bible enough. Mm -hmm. And so this, like, it is kind of uh, enviable to know, like, uh, well, maybe not enviable because that's bad, but but just, like, to know that Protestants know their their Bible so well that they can talk about it and just, like, kind of, I don't know, I I, I work with, um, uh, with a Presbyterian, and he's able to go through just, like, kind of whenever it comes up or he'll come up with kind of an offhand like reference to like a book in the old Testament. And I'm kind of like, Oh yeah, I remember that, but I wouldn't be able to say exactly how he said it or something like that. I just think that is amazing that you did come across that with Catholics. I don't think that's as widespread as it should be, unfortunately. Um, and I find myself every day being like, Oh, I wish I knew it better. Or I, I wish I'd, uh, uh, just able to kind of be able to be in a dialogue with, with Protestants that I know, or just with people who I, uh, I know who aren't, um, at, I guess either, either Protestants or even like Catholics who are kind of falling away because of like, they just either don't know. They really don't know what they don't know. There's just sure. so much mm-hmm. that like, that we can be, um, uh, like exposed to through like knowledge of it, but then also having the gentleness to be like, oh no, like this is this is it, like this is what we believe. No, like that's actually not obviously not being like, no, you're wrong. And that's like, this is why. But it's just like, no, no, this is this is what we believe, kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's so cool. But I would, I would, I totally understand why that would make you be like, oh yeah, okay, this is cool. I'm like starting to move forward with this, and then you mm. like obviously it was a whole process. But that, yeah, I don't know. That's just amazing to hear. So, yeah, I think one of the one of the things that I would encourage Catholics to continue to do is at this point, really realize, you know, the Reformation was many generations ago. At this point, we don't even, we, I say we, (laughs) Protestants, they don't, I didn't know all of the history I had lost. I didn't know Mm -hmm. even what was really being argued other than maybe three or four things in the reformation. I didn't know how much Luther still agreed with the Catholic church. I didn't right. know, you know, that confession and Mary and all of those things were still valid to him. Right. And so I think as long as you start there, realizing that we've got, we've, we're so many generations past that. We don't even know what we've lost. We don't even know the history of how we, we got here and, and the heartbreak that so many of us are going through. Um, like for me, a couple of years ago, the Methodist church split again, and I would have never seen that coming. I didn't know. 
I would have never, ever thought that the Methodist church would split, but they split over, um, really who could be ordained and who could be married. And it's heartbreaking because the, the church that I grew up in and love so dearly is no longer the church I grew up in and love so dearly. It's, it's very different now. And so they're still going through a lot of heartache and split and change. And so their footing, you know, is, is unsure in some ways. And so just to come at it from that and then walking them all the way back, um, that was another thing I was taught incorrectly was that, and I've heard other, other former Protestants say that, that, um, Catholics added books to the Bible Mm. when in reality it was Protestants took books away. And so just little, and, and it, it brings back the whole, what did the enemy do? He could, he couldn't create anything new. He he's incapable of that. So he twisted and he broke and he tried to destroy. And so any, all those little twists, all those little, like the, the word pray that we have a semantical difference now. Oh, it's infuriating to me because they're missing out on so much. And I think when you can come at it from that of, oh my goodness, I can't wait to tell you all the things. Um, and to really take it one piece at a time, because as you swallow that truth of, oh, okay, for 20 years, this is what I was told. And so if that's wrong, is my belief in God wrong? Is God real? And that, and I'm so thankful. I never went very far down that slope. Um, I never had that doubting moment where I was like, no, I, I know, I know he's there and I know he's real. And I know he's going to get me through this because he is truth. And I don't know where I'm going to land now because everything's unraveling in front of me, but we're going to get there right. <laughs> someday. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. It, it seems like there's a common denominator <clears throat> between a lot of Protestants that become Catholic Um, and one of those is the feeling that they have, like, obviously that they have the whole truth, but I think the bigger thing is, and I think, uh, is it Marcus Grodi? I think it's Marcus Grodi who has the show on EWTN, the journey home where it talk where in, and I think it's pretty much entirely structured around people converting and coming, coming home to Catholicism. And that's that's the experience that they have is like, I had all of these misunderstandings or, or I still have misunderstandings or I still have questions. And that's not a bad thing, but like being able to recognize I'm never, I think people want to figure it out. Like what is Catholicism? Boom, here it is. And that's not realistic because so much of it's mystery. So much of it is just this like old tradition that you might be able to figure out with a lot of time and study, but you might not be able to, but once you get to the point where you say, okay, I want the truth. Like, I believe there's a God, there's goodness. You start to like, if you, especially if you're a big like Bible, if you accept the Bible, okay, I, I read and accept everything that's in here. What's the next step? Well, the next step is you have to figure out people who are living that same way and are not constantly splitting all the time. And uh, I was actually talking to a, a Protestant today and he, his view of, all of the different denominations was, well, that's all of the different ways that we worship. And I thought that was really interesting, but I was, and I kind of prodded him and then he steered away. So we didn't get into too much more, but 
I was like, but don't you think at the end of the day, even if I was like, I grant that there are multiple ways to worship. And in Catholicism, there's lots of different ways to worship. There's different saints you pray to. You can pray the rosary. You cannot pray the rosary. You can do novenas. You cannot do novenas. You can be a, an old mass, um, you know, traditional Catholic. You can be a Byzantine Catholic. You can be part of the charismatic renewal. Like there are all of these different ways to participate in the one faith that's all in Catholicism. But if you go into a denomination, it's not only a different way that you're participating in the faith, it's a different faith in some sense. It's not a, it's not that it's completely wrong, but, and you probably, like you were saying, you probably recite the Nicene Creed or a form of it. And you mostly believe most of, you know, kind of, sort of, kind of don't really understand the mystery, but you accept those things. But when it comes to Maccabees and praying for the dead, uh, we're just going to skip that book. We don't really know what that means. Or when it comes to the, the John's discourse on this is my bread, this is my body. That's a symbol. That's a representation. We don't really know what that means. And it, it's like, if you actually want to get down to brass tacks, if you actually want to fig, I think people just don't want to figure it out or they're not willing to be confronted with the truth. But if you get to that point and you have friends that are pushing you to that point or people that are praying for you and you get to that point, eventually you have to say, okay, do I believe that the Bible is true? Do I believe that everything that Jesus said was true. And if I do, logically, I have to say, and I have to agree to all of these different things. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of Catholics don't know how to explain that. Um, or Protestants are brought up with a misunderstanding of what Catholicism is. But it's like, at the end of the day, you can't just be a Methodist or a Baptist and just say, yep, I have the fullness of the faith and we have an answer for everything. Because if you have an answer for everything, you're probably wrong. <laughs> because Catholicism doesn't have an answer to everything. At least... Not that the faith is wrong, but like as Catholics, there's things that we're like, we don't know. And it's right. faith. <laughs> like we just accept that it's faith. And I think people are very uncomfortable with that. Um, so what would what would your advice be to, to current Catholics who have Protestant friends or actually, I think a big problem if you're in a Catholic bubble is you don't have Protestant friends. Like you, you right. don't know anyone that disagrees with you. And if they do, they're like completely so anti-Catholic yeah, that there's yeah. no conversation. But if you do have Protestant friends, what do you think the best way to, obviously it would depend on personality, but what do you think that the best way to continually evangelize is without pushing them too far or without making them not want to be with you because you're always talking about the faith? But like, how do you, how do you juggle that? Because it seems like your experience was you had good friends who wanted your good, who didn't push you and just like lived their faith. Yeah. And it was more of a a witness and not a like a homily. Yeah. So do you think that that's I, the way to go? I do. I think you have to be in relationship with that person. I really mm -hmm. do. And I I think so Brian and I were really involved in youth ministry for a long time and one of the things we talk about is you know you if you don't have a relationship with that teen, you don't have your foot in the door. And so really you need to pass them off to whichever minister has a foot in the door, because if you're not in relationship with them, no matter what you say, it, it's going to be, what's the, what's the motive, what's the ulterior motive. Right. But when you're in relationship with someone, there are so many pieces that you are going to know about them. Mm -hmm. Um, like Brian and Kelly knew that, my family was, they were very, very strong Christians. They were beautiful prayer warriors. They are beautiful prayer warriors. They are passionate, passionate about 
Jesus and interceding for others. And so they knew that for me to walk away from being Protestant was also going to put me in a rift with my parents and my mm. family and my grandmother, um, who I was very, very, who I am still very, very close to. And so because they were in relationship with me, they knew that. And so I would say, get in relationship with that person, um, be a true friend to them, be, um, be somebody who gets to know them for them, wherever they are. Um, it sounds really simple, but it's that whole Imago Dei, right? Like you see Christ in the other person. And if you can't see Christ in them, figure out why, what, what, what are you thinking about them? That's holding you back from seeing Christ in them because he's there, he's there. And if you can't see it, there's some, there's something, either your pride or something is in the way. And so be in relationship with that person and then just take it one day at a time and trust it to the Holy spirit. I think we always feel like there's a rush that, mm. that we have to be in a hurry because their soul needs this which is true, right? To some extent, but our timing is to always rush and to hurry mm. and relationship, a true relationship. It really can't be rushed. It needs those, those day-to-day -day interactions where you're figuring out that that person likes chai tea instead of coffee, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. And that stuff is going to snowball into the bigger stuff. And if I hadn't had a relationship with, with Brian and Kelly, I don't think I ever would have even considered walking into a Catholic church or a daily mass or even trying the rosary. Mm -hmm. you know, I never would have even been open to it. And I think that's why to me, the image of the saints is so beautiful because every saint is so unique because if I think as a Catholic, if you think, okay, well, I need to model my life after Christ, so be perfect. Okay, check. Um, that's the goal. Next step is evangelize. That's a good goal to have, but you can't evangelize the same way that Christ evangelized. You're not going to walk up to a bunch of people fishing and say, hey, come follow me and my Catholic faith. You can't do that because you're not God. Like He's able to do that because he can read their soul. He knows exactly where they're at. He knows what he's asking you maybe there's a time and a place for like really pushing someone. But most of the time, I think that Catholics have this view of evangelization as being this one time kind of like almost like a sales pitch, right? Like an elevator pitch where it's like, here's what the Catholic church believes. And here are my biblical references. And here's the Catholicism and read Thomas Aquinas. And then like, that's it. And then I kind of don't really want to like deal with you after that. And it's this quick, like, I just need to get all this information to you and listen to this podcast and then, and then go like, you'll be fine. And realistically, that's not going to change someone's heart because it's the same thing with, if you're approaching a woman who's like outside of an abortion clinic, right? Just yelling at her that what you're doing is murder while right. it's true is not the correct response that that's not going to get her to change her mind. Maybe one in a million, they hear what you're saying and they were already doubting and they changed their mind. But most of the time it's going to be the person who's just like, Hey, I just really, before you go in there, I just really want to talk to you about this. Or I really, yeah. I don't know, like, I just really need, I need to tell you this. And I think that if you, if you give me 30 seconds of your time, this might 
totally change your life. That approach, like the, the St. Monica approach to the long-term, yeah, I'm just praying for you daily, I think is probably more likely, especially for people who are fallen away Catholics or who are not Catholic, that is going to be the approach that wins and not the quick, what are you doing? Turn your life around. Like, not, yeah. I think most people aren't going to do, have a St. Paul conversion. I don't think that happens. Um, and especially with all of the access to technology and everything, to me, it seems like the slow approach might be the only way. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and really asking them what they need. Like, mm. What do you need? What, what do you, what can I do for you? And, you know, to your point, like someone walking into an abortion clinic, it might be they don't have housing or they don't have food. They don't have diapers. They don't have family. They don't know how they're going to get through tomorrow. Um, and when you start that relationship and you say, Hey, you know what, if, if that really is the only thing that's making you walk in there, I, I can help with that. Mm -hmm. I, I really can. Mm -hmm. And I'll walk with you for years if you want me to, you know, and mm -hmm. that, I think that's the difference. And, you know, the Holy Spirit knows, he knows the time he knows if, if it is a rush for their soul, <laughs> you know, he knows yeah. if, and he, and, and I think you also have to be willing to be the person that you might not be the one that's going to stand with them at their first reconciliation. You might not be the one that's going to be at their first communion but you might be the one that they think, Oh man, I, I met Anthony and he was Catholic and he was cool, you know, or yeah. I heard his podcast, you know, <laughs> Brian, Brian sounded pretty smart on that podcast, you know, yeah. Brian's I, definitely a better Catholic. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to talk to him, Anthony. I'm not kind of, I'm going to avoid. Um, and I think we have to, yeah. we have to let go of that pride that mm -hmm. it, it might not be us mm -hmm. that in fact, we might be the stumbling block. I can tell you, so my parents um, are now in full communion with the church. They came in two years ago at Easter, amazing. which is amazing. So cool. And um, I can remember not a voice booming from the heavens, but the Holy Spirit saying, you stay out of this. Mm. You stay out. Mm. This is not your fight. This is not your battle. This is not mm. for you. Mm. And um, my dad found... Father Mike Schmitz on YouTube during the pandemic and watch the hour that will change your life about 800 times and would call me and be like, did you know, did you know, <laughs> Oh, that's really interesting, dad. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Well, wow. so it had nothing to do with me and I probably would have completely thrown a wrench in the mm. whole process mm. to try and get in their story. Yeah. Yeah. Was there, was there a large rift when, when you converted or was it just kind of a difference of opinion, but it was okay. It was bad. Yeah. It was, mm -hmm. bad. they were going to come that morning to the church. And, um, I remember my dad called, which first that was bad news. If my mom wasn't calling mm -hmm. and he said, we, we can't come. I'm really sorry. We can't support you in this. And I remember hanging up and thinking, I, I don't know if I can go through with this, if, if they're not going to support me in this. Um, but I knew I had to. And then from that 
point, honestly, until, until Julia was baptized, that was the first time there was a big softening because they were in the church and they were kind of seeing like, okay, all these, these are nice people. They're not crazy, you know? And, um, there was a big softening and we were very open with them about, you know, we'd love for you to come to mass with us when you're in town, we want you to be there. And once, once there was a grandchild, it was like, they wanted to be there. They wanted to be a part of it. But that, that period between when I converted and when she was born was, was very tough. And family dinners were, my family's very, very close. Um, my grandmother, my mom, all her sisters and brothers still get together for every meal, every month at grandma's house. And, um, you're expected to be there and bring the deviled eggs. Um, and that, that was some really heated, good debates over that table. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, out of concern for my soul, they were really genuinely concerned for me, which I appreciate if, if, if somebody really thinks that I am doing something that puts my soul in jeopardy. Yeah. I want you to tell me absolutely. But that period was rough. <laughs> wow. Right. Yeah. What, what got you through all of that? Was it just, did you have good Catholic friends that you stayed friends with? I mean, obviously you got married and I'm, I'm sure you had a, a Catholic community of some kind, um, at your, at your church, but did that, did that start expanding where you, where you felt yourself relying on your Catholic friends more than your family because you had to? I really got involved with, you know, St. Mary's. And then there was another church in college station, St. Thomas. And we really had a neat community that we all were youth counselors together. And we all did this stuff together. And then Brian was just this very solid, steady, unshakable rock that when when my uncles would just throw questions at him about whatever he would just lean back and he, he would either answer or he would have no problem saying, you know what, let me get you a really good answer to that question and I'll bring it next time. Hmm. And he just had this very calm demeanor. And he says, you know, from growing up in Texas in the Bible belt that a lot of people weren't Catholic. Most people, you know, 90% were Protestant and he was always kind of picked on. So he had already had this practice of, of kind of people throwing questions at him. So that's, that's helpful, but he was very steady and very, he was unshakable hmm. and that, that helped a lot. <laughs> and I know that y'all eventually ended up in, um, <clears throat> in Arizona was that, mm -hmm. uh, was that work that brought you there or what? It was, okay. yeah. Yeah. We were in Arizona for 12 years and we loved it and we ended up back in Texas. Yeah. But Arizona was great. What parish were you at in Arizona? We were at St. Bernard's of Clairvaux in Scottsdale and oh, okay. yeah. Scottsdale's a really cool we're, place. It's amazing. And we were under, um, Bishop Olmstead okay. and he just fabulous bishop just right. his writings on the family and saint joseph are just hmm. incredible so i feel very fortunate blessed is she came out of that time and in that area um you know claire dwyer jason Everett, all of, we all ended up at the same school 
our kids all ended up at the same school together. And I was, I was wondering, I know, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I remember asking Julia about it because she was like, Oh yeah, I've babysat for his kids or, or, or like, I know his kids or something. And I was like, what, how do you, how do you know him? And then I think a couple weeks later, um, she was like, yeah, my mom has a podcast. I was like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. That sounds cool. Looked it up. And then one of the episodes was with Jason Everett. And I was like, how did your mom get him on? This is so unfair. Um, when you're in really the cry cool. room with someone, you, it just works out. <laughs> there's a bond that is unbreakable. There is. That's there's awesome. a big time bond when it's just your families and you're like taking up the whole cry room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. And it was just a special that the school that we ended up at, we pulled Julia out in middle school of public school. And we ended up at this little tiny K through 12 Catholic school, about 150 kids. That was just magical. Is that Ville de Marie? It was Ville de Marie. Okay. I've heard a lot of good things about that school. Yeah. Just a phenomenal place. Very, very faithful Catholics. Um, You know, the first, I'll never forget the very first meeting we had, we sat down and, and they were like, you know, we have a very important philosophy that we want to share with you. Um, if you have an issue with someone or a a teacher, you go straight to them. You don't talk to anyone else about it. You talk to them and you, you get it out on the table and and we don't, we don't tolerate gossip here. And that was just, and I think in a school setting that is to lay that foundation. That's everything. It was Hmm. so and the families were just phenomenal and faithful. I will never forget at my first meeting, they did the St. Michael prayer. I didn't know it. I had never heard it before. And I, I can remember looking around like, am I going to be okay here? (laughs) (laughs) These people, these people really know their prayers and little did I know. I mean, that was just, you know, just the beginning. They, they taught me so much. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, Jason Everett, I was just talking to someone the other day about his book that he just wrote on the on transgenderism. <clears throat> and then yeah. he went on Matt Frad's podcast and talk about, talked about it for a couple hours. And I've always really, like, I've been a big admirer of the way that he approaches purity and, like, sexual ethics and then is able to distill that to, like, high school level without dumbing yes. it down or without, yes. you know, he's not, he, he doesn't... Um, he doesn't uh, speak out of line. He's not like, okay, well, I'm just going to be blunt and say these things. It's like, no, it's, it's high schoolers, but he also is very clear about like, this is where the line is. And like, if you want to come talk to me afterwards, come talk to me. And he's very open about like people struggle with pornography. It's a thing. Like, don't be afraid of it. Come talk to me, like go to confession. Like he just has all of these really, and he's constantly coming up with like new, like mnemonic devices and like, um, new research, new studies, stories from the t- talks that he gives and stuff. And, and then he went on Matt Frad's podcast and talk about, talked about transgenderism. And I was like, I think this is probably the best Catholic opinion on transgenderism that I've ever heard because yeah. you have the, the Matt Walsh side or the just conservative yeah. side and they're, they're fighting the ideology. So they're condemning the ideology and the politicians and the doctors who are right. doing this and the surgeons that are making money and the pharmaceutical companies and while that's all good, it's a very negative approach to, um, it's, it's, it's reducing things to the negative and it's saying as an ideology, yeah. this is evil. And while we can all back that, there's still the real problem of for the people who this actually is 
a neurological disorder, right? Not just people who are doing it to be popular or because they just want to spend money on a surgery or trying to get attention. People who are legitimately suffering from gender dysphoria, how do we handle them? Because we're not outcasting them. It's the same thing with people who have homosexual tendencies. Like what, what is the call of the Christian and what is our response? Because we can condemn the ideology just like we can condemn the sin. But then what do we do with the sinner? How do we reconcile that? What do we do with the person? And how do we, how do we both? And he, I thought he gave this like just incredible answer about how to like how we continue to involve them in our life and also know when we need to cut them out. And I think he made an analogy Mm -hmm. to a drug addict where it's like, well, cutting them out and isolating them is the worst thing that you can do, but also tolerating them and having them around your kids and exposing your kids to these things might be even worse because you're not helping them and you're endangering other people. But still, like, there's a ministry there. So how how are you involving this person and also keeping them at bay? And how are you telling them that you love them, but you also are not paying for their surgeries or are not supporting what they're doing? Um, so I would definitely recommend that. To, I mean, I can't explain it anywhere close to how he did, but I just thought he did such a good job of just, like, really... And Father Mike Schmitz does a pretty good job as well. I think he more focuses on the homosexuality part, um, at least from what I've heard Um but yeah, that ability to just really outline, here's what's going on. Here's what youth are struggling with. Here's the dangers of social media. Here are the dangers of d- drug use and, and you know anxiety medicine and just all of these different things that play factors into why we're so depressed as a culture and why, why people can't even like comprehend becoming Catholic because they think that there's all these biases and prejudices against trans people. Um, and really, if you dig down, you're like, if you know someone who's struggling with this, your approach, it, it's almost like I, I would probably make the same analogy as like a, a, approaching the, the woman at the abortion clinic. Like you can stand against abortion and you can say that it's murder, but dealing with that woman and just showing her a picture of an aborted baby and saying you're doing this is not the way to win their soul. Unhelpful. Right? It's no. completely unhelpful. It's the same thing for transgender yeah. people. Like you're not going to, if you have someone who's legitimately struggling with this, that's not the approach. So, um, yeah, good for him. And he's, I feel like he's constantly coming up with new material and constantly like, he's, he's like a walking footnote. Like he'll just constantly be like this thing and this person on this page. You're like, how are you doing this? So (laughs) yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah. He has a gift at being equally clear and equally charitable. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you don't always see that, especially in an apologist. You right. you have they lean one way or the other, but he is so clear about the issue. Like this is exactly what we're talking about, and this mm-hmm. is the problem. And I see Christ in you, and and it's not lip service. He yeah. really does want a relationship with that person because he really does want that person to find peace and joy with all his heart. Mm-hmm. And that's that's unique. It's yeah. very unique. Yeah. Do you find that, um, I think you can probably answer this question better than anyone else we've had on. Do you find that mothers specifically have a really hard time at feeling like they're being good Catholics? Cause I think that dads probably have the same struggle, but I think it's different because I think the way, at least the way that my brain works and that I think most men's brains work is that the faith, even though it shouldn't be, can be reduced to like a checklist but you don't feel guilty about it being a checklist. You're like, I went to mass. I did like, and you, you feel a sense of accomplishment and that you're working towards being a better person because you're doing all of these things. And I think that women get overwhelmed by 
like even just the daily novena email, like that's overwhelming or, oh, I had to take my child out during mass. And so I missed the homily. So now, now I'm choosing my child over God. And like, you kind of like get into these weird, like, what's my calling in this moment? How do I be a good Catholic? But I feel like I'm too busy. How do you, especially as like a convert, how do you find the time to take care of your kids appropriately and then also set aside time or at least feel like you're still like just living the Catholic life beyond just taking care of kids, which is a bad way. It, it sounds very reductionist to just say you're just taking care of kids because obviously it's it's much more than that and you're developing future saints. But I found that even like, especially I think new mothers like getting into it, they just feel very just alone and very overwhelmed by the fact that like being Catholic was hard before. And now, now I have a baby or now I have five kids. And so, so what, how, how do you, how do you overcome that? And what, what, what's your advice to, to young mothers or maybe just to mothers in general about how to continue, how to continue living like a life of faith and also all of the other things you have to do as a mom. <clears throat> I think I would say two, two pretty big things. One of, um, so Bishop Barron is another person that I just truly admire. And I had never heard anyone say the phrase rightly ordered before. Hmm. And his explanation of really just rightly ordering your loves is something that I think of probably every day. Um, and then my second piece, big piece of advice is finding community. Um, it, it, it can be other Catholic moms. It's great. If it is, if you can't find other Catholic moms in your area, find a, find a group, find a mops group, find a stroller strides group, find a fit for mom group, find something like if, if exercise is your thing, great, go find some moms that like to walk in their stroller. Um, I was part of a mops group at a Bible church in Scottsdale that was amazing for me, life-saving for me. Um, after we adopted Riley and I re-entered toddlerhood and then all of a sudden had two babies on the way after that, that community, just having another mom to look at and say, you know, run run the washing machine twice. If you forgot to put it in the dryer and the towel smell, it is no big deal. Run it twice. Who cares? Mm. Um, you need those other moms that help you not feel crazy about how crazy you actually are because of how sleep deprived you are. <laughs> mm. Um, but in that group, I was very fortunate to have some mentors that were you know, 10 or 20 years ahead of me that just spoke beautiful life into that journey. Things like, remember when you say yes to something else, be it a ministry, be it whatever it is, you're saying no to your family. So try and reframe that yes and no to be opposite. Say yes to your family. Always say yes to your family. And if it's a situation where you can say yes to your family and yes to that. Great. Say yes, but don't be afraid of taking those, especially those early years of marriage, of motherhood, and just clearing your plate. Hmm. Just take everything off of it. 
the ministries will still happen. Even if you're not involved, someone will pick up the torch if the ministry is supposed to go on. All of those little things will still carry on. Don't be afraid to clear your plate. And that way you can really give that time to your family and yourself. And what I found is then I was also creating space for those relationships for the person that said, Hey, I'm going to run to Costco. I really need some help. Um, could you come with me and we can entertain each other's kids while we shop together? Absolutely. How fun is that? Let's grab a coffee and go to Costco together. Whereas I wouldn't have had the time to do that. If I kept trying to do everything and kept trying to manage it all, letting go of things and clearing my plate and saying, this is a season. And this is my, this is my season. Another thing that a mentor told me once was, you know, your husband, where you are in your marriage right now, he's going to go to work eight to five, eight to five, eight to five. That's pretty much when he looks at his future, that's from now until 65, 70, you have this beautiful chunk of time. That's, you know, maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year, maybe it's five years, maybe it's 18 years but you're going to get to kind of mold it and make it what you want every day and enjoy that and own that, that, that you're getting to do something really, really special and, and neat for your family. And you can be cute and crafty and make it about having fresh flowers. You can do a garden. You can learn to cook really beautiful dishes. It doesn't matter how you're pouring into your family, but enjoy this time because this is something that's unique to your vocation and to your calling. And all, I think having those, those mentors that were just a little older than me and clearing that space and really saying, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to rightly order my loves and it's going to be God and family that it, it, it did not come easily. It took me a good 10 or 15 years to really get into that rhythm and mm. But that, that's what I would, if I could go back and tell young moms that that's what I would say. What you were just talking about made me think of this. Uh, there's a, uh, I'm trying to think about what category I put it in. I think he's, he's a counselor, a therapist, but he works for the Ramsey program. It's uh, Dr. John Deloney. And he talks about, um, I don't know what his special, I think his specialty is like counseling, like college students. That's kind of his specialty, but he also, de- he deals with a lot of stuff. Um, with like trauma and anxiety and uh, marriage therapy and things like that. And so he has a radio show and people call in and he'll always kind of preface it with this, you know, 60 seconds or two minutes is not a a session like this. This is just, it's really almost for the people that are listening and not for you, but also, you know, but we can have a follow up or I can recommend you to people. But he always talks about how uh, the biggest uh, like kind of crossroads that him and his wife came to in marriage where they sat down one day and life was so stressful and everything was up in the air and finances were all over the place. And, and he was just like, we agreed like till death do us part, but do we actually want to do that? Like, are we at the point where we're willing to give up or are we going to figure out a way to fight this? And he was like, now obviously, and I think they're, they're just Christian, but he was like, we, we wanted to fight through it. But what we had to do is we had to come up with ways of, not getting overwhelmed by the future and just taking it one step at a time. And so you mentioned the word season and he talks about that a lot where he's like, you get a new job, you move to a new place, your kids are at a new school. 
it's not going to be this stressful always, but you do have to both get on the same page and recognize right now, this is a season of we have twins and a new school and no money. That's going to be a lot harder than when we were newlyweds, but it's not going to be as hard as when we have another set of twins, you know, like it might be harder down the road, but right now this season is stress. So what are we going to do? And just recognizing, not just life is hard. We need to keep pushing, come to the realization. And I think this probably applies to the spiritual life too, where you're like, I'm just in this dry spell of, I can't get to daily mass. I can't do holy hour. I can't. So you have to just start cutting back. Okay. What's what season are we in? It's winter time. It's harder to go to pray at night because it's cold, or I don't feel like going out and visiting people because it's cold. Okay. So what's the solution? So to being able to just recognize like where you're at and not try to just be the perfect person 20 years from now, recognizing this is a busy season. What are we cutting back on? What are we focusing on? Let's touch base in six months. Let's touch base in a month. Um, and what he was specifically directing that towards married people. But I think that really applies across the board and it's exactly what you're saying. Just not Catholic. (laughs) Like (laughs) we're in this season of X what's the solution? Um, yeah. and I think that's from you, like, I think that's great advice is just to be like, just be really real about where you're at. Like, what, is it worth my time to be part of this ministry? Is it worth my time to be, um, in this mom's group? Is it yeah. like, is that taking away from my kids or is this one night a week allowing me to recharge and now be very present in ways that I wasn't before? And really only you and your spouse, or maybe you and your kids can come to that, like, come to that conclusion. That's because not everyone is the same. You know, you can, yeah. you can do different things. So, um, yeah, and I honestly, I feel like <clears throat> with that, it, um, I think there are a lot of people who want, I mean, get so caught up. So obviously we have to, uh, model our, model our lives around Christ. So going to mass, uh, praying every day, like all, like going to mass every Sunday, going to confession, all that. Um, but, Having and we should have our mindset on like okay, getting prayer time. My, how what does my spiritual life look like? Uh, but then that can also shun the um, like either our mental state or or our physical state and anything like that. There was a um, uh, and so I, I feel like that is totally like know what season you're in and know like okay what are my Yes, uh, maybe I'm, I am having this really dry spell in my spiritual life, but I am—I may be just like super stressed out with everything else. So it's like, okay, maybe it's because of all of this stress, and so I have to cut back on all these mm. things or whatever. Um, but there was—I uh, watched this video not uh, like maybe the other day. Um, uh, he, it's the—I don't know if you've ever heard of Exodus ninety. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that so the head of Exodus ninety, they were they were doing this like, uh, I don't know, it was like a Q and A. Is that Jamie Baxter? Yeah, Jamie Baxter. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so it was this it was their director of content, this priest, and then him, and they were talking about prayer and getting um uh like finding time for prayer and then um like throughout the day and everything. And one of the things he said was, um, I forget what like I mean. Obviously, they were talking about prayer, so maybe it doesn't really matter what they were talking about right before. But um, uh, no, what's the whole context? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but um, so he he's like, yeah, one of the one of the things that have gotten me through, um, like through the uh, as the company of Exodus has like has taken off, but then also just my prayer life in general. Whenever I get up, I take a couple minutes or maybe a minute of just being like, okay, 
what am I feeling like before I get into prayer? Like before I'm like, okay, am I tired? Okay, I'm exhausted. Maybe I need a little bit more time to sleep. Okay, I'll go back to sleep or whatever. And then that you're able to kind of like just structure, okay, mm. how am I going to pray right now? Or what am I going to ask for for today? Um, and I feel like that, I mean... Like it, setting yourself up for success. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so like being able to, obviously that's that's uh, the spiritual life, but even this, like that being... Uh, uh, I guess like applied to, to just your regular day to day, I feel like can mm. be so, so helpful. And so the, again, yeah, I totally agree. That's a great thing. Uh, just knowing like stopping, okay, what, what can I take out or what, what do I have to let go of to be able to give myself fully, uh, to kind of my, uh, to the people, like my little circle right here. Um, mm. yeah, that's, yeah. And I feel like we're just starting, like, like obviously we're, we're, no, we're, we're professionals. What are you yeah, talking yeah. about? I'm <laughs> well, speaking yeah. from years yeah, yeah. of experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but like, just like, like newlyweds about to have, like going to have children this year, but it's just like, buckle up. Let's go. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Uh, I but. think one of the most, was it, was it Thomas Aquinas that said a nap and a snack yeah. is really, and I really, okay. You guys remember that coming up. Okay. Like, really rest is so underrated Mm -hmm. it is everything like you know a new mama her body is still healing her her emotions her hormones her everything every relationship just changed she just made people grandparents she just made people aunts and uncles there's a lot happening and the rest that you need to recover physically, the rest that you need to cover, recover emotionally, couple that with all of the noise from the world of, okay, while they're taking a nap, you could totally make some granola bars from scratch. You know, it's like, no, no. When you rest, when they rest, you rest. Mm -hmm. And I, I went through seasons when I was really good at that and not so good at that. And I am very pro nap. And I, I think that that's incredibly important. Um, I suffered a lot with, um, postpartum anxiety and depression. And, um, I think it wasn't until I finally learned that it was really rest that my body was craving. And after rest was eating well and exercising and really putting stuff into my body. That wasn't the crumbs, the goldfish crackers that somebody left on their plate. You know, it was grilled chicken or whatever, you know, it was taking care of myself where I kept putting myself somewhere else, trying to do it all, trying to make sure the house was clean. The house isn't going to be clean. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. But there is an entire social media feed on your phone that is going to tell you that it should be perfect. And you should have this nursery that's photographable and you should have this and this. That's junk. That is a lie. That's that's great if that is works for you. Mm-hmm. But really what's important is rest and that baby and your spouse and just enjoying that time together and growing with the Holy family together. That's all that matters. None of the other stuff, it all fades. It all goes away. <laughs> Two different things that, uh, you mentioned <clears throat> the first thing, uh, 
we haven't actually talked about it a lot on the podcast, and we should do an episode on it at some point, but uh, Joseph Pieper has his book on leisure, and um, it's just this awesome way of looking at reality, and I think that as Americans, probably like primarily as Americans, we view rest as being lazy. And mm. I think that's because, and he, he addresses this in the book and pretty much anyone I know that knows anything about the book would agree. It's not that rest is wrong. It's just that we need, like rest has to be properly ordered. So rest yeah. isn't binge watching YouTube and ordering fast food and like not taking out the trash and whatever. That's not rest. That's being lazy. And there, there maybe is a time and a place for that. But when you're actually resting, you're resting in something like you have a rest because you've like how God rests, like he, he completes his work and then he has a day to enjoy his creation and rest. So on Sunday, like you, you, you finished the work for the week, everything is ordered, everything is in place. And then it creates this opportunity to be able to rest and to be able to celebrate or to feast or to, to whatever. And it's all properly ordered in this way that you're resting and it's not, and it's, it's actually like it's actually reviving and not just I think people think of it as like a slow day. Like I don't have work, but I still am kind of doing all the same things. Um, but the ability to like, whether you're actually physically sleeping or, or whether you're just enjoying having nothing to do. And I think with technology and with constantly being available, there is a stress and it's, you don't really notice it, but there's a stress of someone might need me or I need to check something. And, um, I know I've mentioned this before, and I think we've talked about this a few times, like just having your phone really interrupts conversation. Maybe maybe you're not looking at it, but if it's in your pocket buzzing or dinging, that really sidetracks conversation. If you're trying to watch a movie with someone and they're checking their phone, it just kind of ruins the movie. You know, if you're at dinner and people are on their phones, even if they're showing you something, it just takes away from the human experience. And as a result, I think that conversation has gone down the drain and- like it, it doesn't always happen, but there are times where I have weeks where I feel like the only real conversations I have are with Kathleen and with people we're podcasting with because everything else is just a text message, a call, a check-in, a quick, hi, how you doing? And it's like, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a podcast where that's my real source of conversation, you know? But I think sadly, that's why podcasts are popular. It's a good thing, but it's also sad that people listen to podcasts because they don't talk to anyone. And so they, yeah. they crave listening to people talk. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think, I think kind of to circle back on that, like to, to really rethink what rest is and not put it in a category of that's for like people who need 10 hours of sleep. And that's for people who are lazy to actually elevate it and say, let's work towards rest. And then what do we need for rest? Like mm-hmm. if you're going to take a nap, like take a good nap, don't have your phone on ring and don't uh, don't sleep where it's loud, like find a quiet place or at least like set the, set yourself up for success with, with resting. Um, it also made me think of something else. There's a, I don't know if it's a new devotion, but it's new to me, um, to St. Joseph. And it's like, it's the sleeping St. Joseph. Oh, and, I haven't heard of this. Um, <clears throat> Father Calloway has a book on St. Joseph and it's one of, it's the, th- I think it's the 33 day consecration to St. Joseph. Um, or maybe it's just consecration to St. Joseph, but I think it's just consecration. Yeah, yeah. The 33 days is Father Michael Gately. Um, but in that, there's um, there's a reading you do every day, and there's like a story about St. Joseph or a reflection. 
And one of these devotions he talks about is to the sleeping St. Joseph. And there's a novena in the back you can pray. And then I believe it's available on a few different websites, but on he has a website and he has a statue you can buy and it's of St. Joseph laying down and sleeping. And I think the, the story behind that is that God speaks to us in whispers. And so we have to put ourselves in a place where we can hear that. And I think a lot of times people, uh, think of that as prayer or think of that as adoration. And while that's true, and that's, I would say probably the primary way that you hear God's voice and you hear the Holy spirit, like whisper, or like you feel that nudge. There's also something to be said for praying before you go to sleep and then asking God, like in your sleep or in your dreams to like reveal you, re- reveal something to you or to like, to give you clarity on something. And so there's this devotion of people writing their, um, like their intentions and either putting it under their pillow or putting it under the statue of St. Joseph and like asking him in his sleep to like, to console you and to come to you. And I thought that was so cool. Like just, beautiful, it's, and you don't have to like, it's not something you have to do, but, but the idea that there's another way that you can yeah. have St. Joseph intercede for you and you can have this little statue of like sleeping St. Joseph. And then to be able to like feel at peace about sleeping, like, uh, yes. yeah, I don't, it's a, it's a neat thing. And I wish I knew, I don't know. That's really the extent of my knowledge on it, but, um, I would, I would definitely recommend people like either reading the book or looking into that more, or if, if you're someone who like has trouble sleeping or, um, you know, yeah, just like doesn't, doesn't sleep well, like to, to pray to St. Joseph in that regard, like to, to ask him to help you sleep well and to rest well and to be able to like yeah, just, just rest, rest in God and not just be like anxious and falling apart all the time. (laughs) That's so beautiful. I'm thinking about even with my kids, like they'll go through times where, you know, they'll have, you know, a a couple months of bad dreams or something, but what a beautiful way to like, Hey, you know what, let's write these down and let's, let's ask St. Joseph to, to Mm -hmm. pray for us while we sleep, you know, that he'll take care of those those things that you're worried about. I, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. I gotta look that up. Yeah. Right. I also love the image of, uh, I think a lot of people put this in their, their like child's room or their nursery where you have the, the um, guardian angel prayer. Yes. And then like the guardian angel is standing over you as, you as you sleep. Um, I think that image is also really powerful. The idea that the, the saints and the angels are surrounding you, whether you're awake or asleep, like to guide your thoughts and to guide your actions. And, um, it's just good to have a reminder of that because it's so easy to just right. think that the saints are like these perfect yes. distant, like St. Therese, like she like ba- basically never messed up. How am I going to ever possibly be like her? It's a, you know, and then, and then, but then you really like, you look into it and you're like, Oh, there were saints who were prostitutes and there were saints who were yes. like, I think Jason Everett has a saint. He talks about who like went and preached to prostitutes and another saint who was like addicted to like opium his entire life. And, and you're like, what? And, and they, and they made it. And so that testimony yeah. of like, okay, there, there's someone who's either worse than me or just as bad as me and they made it. So I should just start praying to this person or, uh, or find a saint that I have a devotion to. Um, and speaking of saints and devotions, you have a podcast called tripping over the saints. Why did you start that? What, like, what led you to having, like, start having conversations about that? And like, yeah, like what, what's the why? What is your why? I think, I think really just getting the stories out that that if I had a saint that came by me and wanted this friendship and now 
has opened my eyes and my heart up to this entire journey that of walking with someone with a mental health struggle and what that could look like as a Catholic and what, um, you know, one of the things that is so beautiful about the Catholic church is, you know, redemptive suffering. That is not something I had ever heard of before. And that possibly because of the suffering that God would be glorified in this journey. And so all of those things wrapped together, wanting to get that story out and then learning that, oh my goodness, there's another person that has this really special devotion to this saint. And here's the reason why. And, and then I started realizing what you were saying about the saints, that there are so many saints that walked so many different journeys. And that's another beautiful thing about the church is you know, there's saints for mothers, there's saints for doctors, there's saints for prostitutes, there's saints for ailments. There's, I mean, just anything you could possibly imagine. You're not alone. You are not alone. They have been through it. They found God. God did not leave them. God did not ask them to suffer by themselves and just getting those stories out there. Um, and I, and I really think that the the mystery of the church too is just so I tell people when it comes to faith that I I completely cheated because I know that I know that I know that I know that God exists and I have sat across from a doctor when he slid the manila envelope across and said I am so sorry you will never carry another child to term ever and then I've stood at a Steubenville conference during adoration when the monstrance passed by me and I couldn't stop laughing. And I don't know why I couldn't stop laughing, but then in front of 2000 high school students, father Lewis said, someone here is struggling with infertility and God just untied the knots and going home and finding out we were pregnant with Mary Alice. I mean, when a word of knowledge happens in front of 2000 people and you're the one who the doctor slid the manila envelope across and said, sorry, no, it's never going to happen. I feel like I'm cheating. Like I, I, I know that the impossible happens and I know that miracles happen and I want other people to know that hope and that joy and that, that, yeah, I have days that are not good. And I have days that, you know, I, I cry and ask God why, why my kiddo has to have an attachment disorder. And what, what is that about? But even after the tears, I know that I know that he is good and he is faithful and he will not leave us that there is something bigger that I don't know what it is. And one day we'll know when, one day we'll all stand and laugh and together, hopefully God willing. But I think that's what I wanted. I wanted people to hear the stories. I love stories. I love hearing people's stories. I love sharing stories. And, and I think just that I wanted that to come out and I'll never forget, um, Claire Dwyer. She wrote this present paradise, um, about St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, she was my endowed group leader in Scottsdale. 
And I told her about this podcast idea and the kids were still, you know, Mary and Sebastian were still pretty little. And she said, you know, God will show you when it's time. Don't, don't feel like this is a rush that you have to do it today. God will show you. And I waited five years from that conversation. And when we moved here in Louisville, this is another time I'm like, people are going to think I'm nuts and that's okay. Um, Brian had gotten me this blue Yeti microphone, you know, the podcaster microphone that is like the gorgeous, like shiny blue. And I was like, okay, this is going to happen. That sat in a box for at least a year on the altar at our church during adoration was a blue Yeti microphone. It was not hooked up. It was not being used. Why was there a microphone on the church? Like, why would there be a microphone on the altar? None of this makes sense. So I sent a picture to Claire and I was like, do you see what's on the altar with the monstrance? And she was like, I think it's time. I think it's time. And I was like, okay. And then by then I had almost talked myself out of it. Like, okay, I do. I really want to be a podcaster. I'm this is, I'm just that weird lady that talks to people about Jesus in the drive through at Dutch brothers. Like that's, I'm just that person. And, and there it was. And so, and now I, I've asked the Lord, like, after I finish recording one episode, just whoever is supposed to be the next guest, like, just send them my way. I'll be ready. Mm-hmm. You, you've taken me this far Just show me the next guest. And he's so, he's so faithful. It always, it works out. It works out. So yeah, that's my why. I just yeah. want people to know the stories. It is pretty amazing. I think with saints, I feel like so many people have uh, obviously different stories with, with different saints and, and why they, they have a certain devotion to this one, this one specific saint, but then also just to realize that like through that, like just knowing that people have these devotions to them and then maybe it is just like, oh yeah, we pray to them because of this. And then, and maybe they don't know the story of the saint and, and they just like, I just know that this, I know the saint is helping me out. And I just know that like when I pray to them, like they're really interceding for me. But then there are also those people who really get to know that these, these people, like they were people and, and they walked this earth. And they were also, as you guys were saying there, they were, they struggled through things or maybe, maybe like St. Therese, they didn't really struggle through things, but well, I guess they did. She did still struggle, but anyways, um, but like, just like, just made it look easy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But just, (laughs) just knowing it's like a professional athlete, like it's incredibly hard, but it looks easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that even (laughs) on a good day. Um, but yeah, just, I think, and you talk about stories. I've been getting into a lot more of, um, of just wanting to read, not just like biographies of, um, of saints, but also novels of saints about mm-hmm. saints, um, to just, because a lot of the time it's like, okay, we're filling in these details and these conversations that make them look more and just like shed light on their human side. Cause obviously they did all these amazing things, but it's just like, they were, they were human and they mm-hmm. had these little conversations and had these little, uh, like really fun times with their friends. And this friend played a big part in their life and blah, blah, blah. But it's just, I feel like in stories like that, it just like brings them, it brings them down Mm -hmm. and, or I mean down to your level so you can actually like see them for just how similar like they are to you. Um, It gives a lot of hope too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that's, that's awesome that you're able to do that with other people and try and ask about that. 
when I look at the saints and how many of them, when you start to like get to know them and you realize like, Oh, these saints were actually friends, like, mm-hmm. or, or they were mentors for, you know, like, um, is it St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the cross? Like they wrote letters to each wow. other and encouraged each other. And it's like, that's what I want my friends to be. I want us to all just be like slingshotting each other. Like, let's go, let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's do this, you know? And when you see like those relationships and how special that is, it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose that history. I don't want to lose that knowledge of, of all the, of all of that. Right. And right. I, yeah, I think with, with technology now it's, it's kind of gotten to the point where you don't want to be another Catholic content creator because it's like, Oh, there's so many, I'm not as good, <laughs> but I think you have to come to the realization that you might have something to share or in our case, we just have people yeah. on that have something to share, right? Like, well, we're not interesting, so let's have the most interesting person on. Okay, exactly. great. Like, it's ask it's still good. It's yeah, good. ask questions. Try not to talk, but <clears throat> doesn't always work out that way. But um, but the idea of like we we don't understand what it is to tell stories, like from, especially from memory. We don't just sit down and talk about a saint, or sit down and talk about a church, or a miracle, or like all of this, all of the stories that we tell are like YouTube videos that we've seen or um, some like TikTok or Instagram short or a reel or something like that. And while those aren't bad things per se, it's really just, it's programming your brain to have a quick like neurological reaction to something funny or something violent or something like, but, but it's quick and then to forget it. Mm-hmm. And so the actual memory of history and of tradition is completely lost. So if you actually sit down and talk to someone, uh, particularly the elderly who maybe weren't like nowadays who probably didn't have technology until the last maybe, you know, 10 or 20 years of their life are able to recount all of these different things about the past that like they'll tell stories about their family and growing up that I couldn't remember about my own family, even though that was five years ago because we've just been programmed to forget. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I think that podcasting and being able to have real conversations and be, to recommend books to people and to bring up stories, it, it's not the best case scenario, but it's, it's, I think it's a decent solution to encourage people to learn more. And like, like, I hope that everyone that's listening to this doesn't just keep listening to us. Like, I want them to listen to you. I want them to listen to the people that we met, like to go, like to be like, be really active about pursuing things that interest you. If you find a podcast that you really like, like, unless something goes terribly wrong and Matt Frad starts putting out bad content, like I'm just going to listen to every video he posts. I just am. And I don't do that with every podcast. I'm selective because I only have so much time. And he's one of those people that have, it's checked all the boxes of you have consistently have good guests are very interesting and are asking the questions that I want asked. And I feel like I'm there in the room with you. And so if you can, if you can create uh, just a mirror image of that, or you can just a shadow, honestly, of his podcast, people will listen because they're, they're hungry for it and they're, they're starving for it and they don't get it in their homilies and they don't get it in their friendships. They don't have that conversation and they don't watch movies that like talk about or show or portray anything remotely interesting anymore. Um, and so, yeah, kind of just as a word of encouragement to anyone who's like doing a podcast or an Instagram thing or a blog, like you might think that you're wasting time that you're only reaching a couple thousand people and it's not really a, okay, fine. But as long as you're, as long as it's helping you grow spiritually or it's helping you uh, advance in some way, then it's worth it for you. And then you have no idea how many people are actually being affected by it. 
you have no idea whose life you might be changing because like if I, if someone listens to this and they hear about Matt Frad's podcast or your podcast, and then that totally changes their life. That's a success story in my mind. Like that's not, I don't care if they like totally block me, like they got to where they needed to be. Um, so I think just being able to just to, to be open to that, just like if, if it's helping people great, I, I, I don't really know, but I hope that it is. And to just kind of, um, yeah, just to have that openness of, of letting, letting God work out the details and you just kind of do what you think is right for your, your time and season in life. And just to, to keep pursuing that. Um, and that's really all that, that, you know, God can ask you anyway. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'll get off my soapbox. That was, that's all that no, I wanted to I, say. I so agree <laughs> with that. I, I feel like there's a lot that you need to be obedient because it's, it's not ours anyway. Mm-hmm. And if he's asking you to do it, then it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's 10 people or hundred thousand people. It, it doesn't matter. You are to be obedient to him and he'll do with it what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it comes down to if the Lord's put on your heart to step into the social media ring and you have a charism where you really can detach and turn it off. And you get to the point where comparison isn't an issue for you. Um, even if you have to work at it or it comes naturally, but if you get to that point where you aren't comparing yourself, you're not worried about what other people are going to think or say, that is something that's a gift that God's given you so that you can be in this area and that you can speak beauty and truth into others where I think I think there are some people he does ask like, okay, you need to step out of the social media arena. It is distracting for my calling for you. Mm-hmm. But then there's others, others of us that he's like, no, put on your gloves. I need you. Um, it might not even, it might not be obvious. It might be really obvious, but I, I need you. I need your voice. Um, for some reason there is, I'm going to use this. And I think that's, that's all we can do in obedience and giving him the glory is just do the next, do the next right thing. Right. <laughs> right. No, exactly. yeah. And I, I think a big, a big problem with a lot of, uh, at least content creators, I don't know if this is particularly true of Catholic content creators, but a lot of podcasters and content creators are just fake and they have a lot of followers and they do interesting videos and they have like, kind of like intriguing, like names to their YouTube videos. So like they get clickbaity, <laughs> but if you actually dig deep, they're not really talking about anything that important. They're not being that vulnerable. They're not just saying what they think. And I think that's why people like Joe Rogan or Matt Frat or any of these people, they're just good at, they're good at being human and not being ashamed of not knowing things. Like they're very, like they're very okay with just being like, I have no idea what that, what that is. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Because if yes. you're just like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, I think I've heard of that before. Let's continue because I don't want to look stupid that people like people people smell that like people know when you're not being genuine and it's terrifying because being genuine means look at me I'm a big buffoon and everyone knows that but if you get past that point it's way easier because then you never have to think about it you never have yeah. to put on a face you could you just like you just talk to people that you want to talk to and you just interact and promote things that you think are worth talking about and promoting and beyond that that's all you can do and i think that overall in the end that is what's going to bring people to Christ because it's, 
it's not the full relationship like you were talking about earlier. It's not a full friendship, but if you can just let your listeners know that you really care about them and that like if they want to come on the show to reach out or like you appreciate feedback and all that stuff, people do like notice that they really do. Um, so I think just be, yeah, just being open to that and being really, um, yeah, just be genuine. Like it sounds so, uh, it sounds kind of cliche, but just to just accept that you're not going to be the next Matt Frad. Like you're not, you can't be, he's amazing. You're, you're, I know. you're a pile of trash. Like you're not going to be, not you specifically, yeah. Mrs. Ashbrook. And, and his name's but, Matt. It's different. It's just different. He has that Australian accent. I, I know. Mean, he really does. He's the cool he studio. compete with that. He has a cigar shop. It's like, why am I even trying? <laughs> um, but, I will but. say though, and I am a huge Matt Frad fan, and I've been following him for years. But have you noticed, I would say the last, I don't know, maybe six months or so, like really recently, it's like there's a gentleness. It's like there is mm. something that's happened. I don't know what it is, but it's it's um watching his interview right now with with Shane, it's like there is such a genuine interest in listening to him and there's such a softness that mm. seems new. Have y'all mm. noticed that? I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. There were a couple times that I I I guess I don't know I didn't watch right as he got into like the long forum, uh, like right away. I wasn't really listening to much. So I wasn't sure. I kind of thought, oh, maybe this is just how he's been. Um, mm -hmm. And then I have been watching more recently. I, I, I think I've been noticing a little bit of that. I haven't been watching a ton though. So I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've specifically noticed that. I don't disagree. I just don't know if I've been like, oh yeah, totally. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. But yeah. um, or maybe it's a girl thing. Maybe it's a mom. Yeah. Like as a mom, I'm noticing. Yeah. Like it's it's very refreshing. To I me. think that sure. what I have noticed. So I will say I agree to with you to this extent is he has had a lot of um, more controversial people on as of late. And I think before it's True. like we're having Scott Hahn on and we're we're having just kind of like Catholic icons yeah. and. Yeah. And that's fantastic. Like people need to hear like Jeff Cavins, Scott Hahn, um, like all of these like incredible like theologians and intellectuals. And so his place is just to be like, okay, well, you wrote this book. Tell us about it. And then the rest of the podcast is just them right. doing their thing and being amazing. But I think that it seems to me more recently. So he had Shane, uh, is it Shane Smith? So yeah, he's a recent that. convert, but he's like tattooed and has a really rough past. He had a woman on that talked about like same sex attraction. Right. Yes. Uh, there was a woman, I think it was like a former Wiccan. There was a guy yep. who uh, used to be, uh, I, I don't think he was a Satanist, but he was, he was involved in like maybe like lowercase s Satanism, like kind of uh, things like that, Ouija boards and whatever. Yeah. I know he's had, so and I think the list goes on, He, but he's had people where I think your approach can't be, okay, well, this is going to get a lot of clicks because like Matt Frad interviews Exorcist. The approach needs to be like, wow, that sounds really like horrible. Like you have this abuse or you have this like horrible wound. Tell us about that. Yeah. And, it, and it does seem like he's almost trying to be like, okay, I really want to judge you for being a Satanist. And I'm curious, but I'm not going to go down that path. So like, tell me how you got to Christ or like, tell me, tell me the good things about like Catholicism or what draw. So I, I do think that that probably requires a certain type of gentleness and, and understanding. And he, and he does, 
he does walk a very interesting line of like uh he, he i don't think he like he's not just like yeah you know every religion's fine like he's very clear that catholicism yeah. is the true religion but he'll very consistently be like but like god bless our protestant brothers and sisters like yes they are prayer warriors that. they know the bible yes. way better than i ever will and like and so he i think he's just very good at calling a spade a spade and he'll just be like catholics are bad at this and like it annoys like the sign of peace annoys me and he'll just say that and you might disagree or agree but that's that's just what he feels. And so yeah. there's that genuineness. And I think that, right. again, that's why he's become so successful is because he's just genuinely interested in people's stories. And I actually, uh, do we, I think we did talk about this. He was on uh, Lila Rose's podcast. Um, I don't know when, I think it was somewhat recently, but she basically interviewed him about like, like Matt, why are you a successful podcaster? Or like, how did you become? And he was like, I just kind of got to a point where I, I only talk to people that interest me, which sounds really like kind of like <laughs> nasty, but he's like, yeah. why, but why would I make up questions for like, Oh, there's this like Catholic football player who yeah. like really wants to be on your podcast and maybe that'll do some good. But if I just don't care, I just don't care. I don't want to fake it. And so he was just like, I just want to talk to people who are interesting and I don't prepare. Like I just go in with like, Lord, like let me ask the right questions and let like, I'll, I'll know that he wrote a book. I'll know that he has a podcast. But other than that, I don't really know anything about him. I'm not going to try to have a profile on him. Um, and I was like, that is actually really good advice because I think you can get so caught up in trying to be prepared so that you're not caught off guard. But yes. the beauty of being the interviewer is you don't have to be prepared. <laughs> like you just need to get the other person to talk. So yeah. Um, yeah, all in all, like he just, he does a lot of really good stuff and I, I hope that he keeps that he keeps doing it. And even if he has less videos or less, um, even if they're shorter or whatever, like yeah. I hope he keeps doing it. Cause I think that so many people on like the traditional side, the charismatic side, the Protestant side, yes. the non-believing side are all coming to him because they're like, you're a voice of reason and you're having people on that are interesting. And I think at the end yeah. of the day, that's, what's going to win souls. It really is. I think you're right. Yeah. So, cause you never know what that one person says that mm -hmm. is like, Whoa, I was struggling with that. And here's how they mm -hmm. got past it. Right. I had a mentor once tell me about with vulnerability, it takes someone to go first. And mm -hmm. so we would, um, we would have these tables of new moms and there would be one mentor there. And so she was kind of mentoring me be into becoming a mentor. And it was she was like, you know, sometimes you just have to be the one to go first with that vulnerability. And I think, I think when you're in the, as much as I hate the word influencer, when you're in that social space that if you're not ready to be vulnerable, that's okay. That might not be the space for you, but when you're ready and you're ready, especially about whatever the Lord's asked you to be vulnerable about go first there's mm -hmm. so much fruit that happens when someone else goes, okay, I can be real with her, whether it's in the comments publicly or in a message. Um, don't discount those because yeah. some amazing conversations come out of, of those spaces. Mm, totally. Yeah. Wow. Speaking of, um, of like of reaching people and um, kind of like furthering, furthering your ministry. I heard, I don't know if this is public knowledge, so we'll edit it out if it's not, but I heard that you were asked to speak at like some fancy conference somewhere, maybe on the other side of the uh, world. 
I was. I have a funny story about that. Do you know the ending of the story? No, that's what I just said is literally all that I know. Okay. <laughs> so you don't have to edit this out because I've actually been praying about how to share this. And so long story short, I was asked to speak in London at St. James Palace. And I was crazy, crazy pumped. Like, and, you know, Brian was so good about, he was like, make sure this isn't a hoax. Like, are you sure? And I was like, and and I also had that too. Like, hmm. there's a lot of people who they've written books. They've, what am I like? And it was short notice. So I thought, okay, here's what happened. Their keynote speaker bowed out at the last second. And they're like, oh, who can we get? There's this girl in Texas and she can do this thing, right? <laughs> um, well, it was going well, going well. They agreed to my rates. They're getting me a plane ticket. Like all is going well. And then all of a sudden they needed a copy of my work visa. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. You don't need a work visa to speak overseas. That doesn't make any sense. And so it was actually Julia that was like, Hey, I think you need to call the office over there and see what's up. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So I called and it, it wasn't them. It was a hoax. Oh, it was someone really? trying to get a, a work visa. Oh, like wow. it was a scam. Whoa. And it really kind of took the breath out of me. Like good lesson in humility right there. Really good. And so here at home, I lead um, an American Heritage Girls. I'm the troop shepherd. And so what I do is I work with the older girls on their faith formation. And so the same night that I would have been speaking at St. James Palace in London, I was speaking to this very small group of six girls that are all around like the tween teen years. Mm -hmm. And I had kind of forgotten that it was the same date that I was giving this talk to them. And we did this whole exercise in forgiveness and um, we were working through the book of James and I look up from the exercise and a couple of the girls are tearing up and it was just like the Holy spirit got a hold of my shoulders and was like, you don't have to be in London. You don't have to, you don't have to be an international speaker. You, you don't have to even be a local speaker. This is where I put you. This is where I want you. These are the girls that you are to be shepherding right here. And it was just this, it was just this amazing reminder of, you know, if you look at me on Instagram, I have about 3,600 followers. I've had around that number for like six years now. Like <laughs> it was like, you know, 300 and then somehow I got to 3000 and then I just, hovered there for years. And I know, I know that I'm not that big. I'm not, I'm not Catholic all year. I'm not Katie McGrady. I, I think those people are just amazing, amazing witnesses. Lila Rose, absolutely phenomenal. Right. But I am the mom that takes my Friday night and goes and talks to the girls at the parish about forgiveness. And so just to remember, God needs, he needs both, both sets. He needs the ones that are going to be, you know, making all the printables for the moms that need to introduce the faith. 
and he also needs the moms that go and serve at their local parish and, and make a difference there. He needs them too. So, wow. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's if, my St. James story. Sorry, you don't have to add that out. I'm totally fine. Sorry to bring up a, uh, a <laughs> no, I'm good now. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Therapy I have not shared done. that. Like nobody knows that except like, well, just immediate family. So there you go. It's, it's an exclusive right. interview. So, yeah. So we'll know, we'll know who listens to this podcast based on, <laughs> on that it, whoever gives you feedback like i'm so sorry you're not going you'll so know that they listen to it in. right i'm sorry well honestly i mean it's it's obviously pretty upsetting and like tragic that it didn't work out but i think if i was in your shoes actually i don't think this is true i'm not this much of a um i'm too much of a realist like i wouldn't i wouldn't actually be like glass half full about this but um in some sense if you look at it it's like well they could have scammed anyone but they probably like they probably did do some research on who would actually be a good speaker because they wouldn't I like have just, that angle. They, no, because I'm they wouldn't take that. Yeah. Because they wouldn't just target someone who's like just a rando. Cause they'd be like, I don't do speaking. Like that's not my True. thing. So they're probably okay. trying to find someone who's like, they seem like they're, they fit all of these boxes. Like they'd be a good speaker. They have good content. Like maybe they really like people from Texas. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, Personally, I would like to think that if that happened to me, I'd be like, that was a bummer. It didn't work out, but I'm kind of glad that I was targeted. Like clearly these hackers saw something. I don't know what that means, but, you but I'll take it for what it is. You for that analysis because that I'm going to keep that close to my heart. Because yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Do a whole episode on like positive thinking. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so do you have, before we close, cause I, I know that we're kind of over time. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, do you have, um, do you have any big guests coming up? Do you have big plans for the podcast or for your blog or things that like, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll repost it if you have some, well, we could repost it even if it's just us, but um, <laughs> do you have any uh, upcoming guests that you're like really like excited about working towards or like networking with people? Um, yeah. What does that look like for you? <clears throat> I, this is like the lamest answer. I don't. I have you guys, which I'm so oh, I'm excited. I'm so sorry. About. No, I'm <laughs> no it's, I, but I really do. I like. No I way really... to spin that in a positive way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> glass half full. <laughs> yeah, definitely glass half full. I'm very sorry. You're scraping the bottom of the barrel. No, um, I love, I love seeing who people bring mm. it. I've learned of so many new saints and just beautiful devotions to saints that I've never heard of before. And then just saints that I have heard of before that they'll have a special devotion to them. And it just makes me revisit that saint in a mm. new way. Mm. Um, and that's just so exciting. And I just, I don't know. I love what you guys are doing. I think it's amazing doing, see how I work uh, that in. Yeah. 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 No, well I done. think it's, I can't say enough good things about, Christendom and Julia's friends and, and this whole journey that has led our family to meet people like you guys. It's, it gives me so much hope. It gives me so much hope. I really like, there's a lot of negative out there, but it makes me think, yeah, we're, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. I see people like you guys and you're just on fire and you're just motivated to keep going and you're having beautiful families and that that's so exciting you know somebody's carrying the torch on and that's mm. that's everything 
Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, if we ever put on a Catholic conference, we'll definitely reach out to you yeah, exactly. and uh, you can be the keynote and you can tell the story. <laughs> about the Fantastic about my failed keynote. <laughs> right. yeah, I finally, it took me a while to get to a place where I was like, you know what? I don't need to keep this a secret. Who? I mean, <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. It's not like, you know, <laughs> right. watch out everyone. If anyone asks for a work visa, it's a scam. <laughs> I know. So yeah, there was mm. a part of me too that was like, should I put this out there like on LinkedIn or something? Like, hey guys, this is mm. this looked really legit. Like we were at the ticket purchasing point. Wow. They were gonna buy my plane ticket. Like that's where we were. It okay. was yeah, it was far down the road. Right. So Change. yeah, wow. that was crazy. That's crazy. crazy. Well, thanks I think for sharing. The only big... yeah. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. The only big thing I've got coming down is I am, I'm working on a book about St. Dymphna. That's my. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, that is what awesome. What's exciting. What, uh, how are you writing it? Is it just, is it a, like a fictional representation? Is it just, I found a bunch of websites and you're compiling everything. Like what, what are, how are you doing that? It is it's a memoir style, which okay. I actually listened to a podcast from a publisher the other day that was like, we don't want any memoirs. We hate memoirs. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> I was like, oh, whatever. It's fine. Um, These days you can publish independently though. Like that's right. You have a microphone. You could just click that on and just, just make an just audio go. book. Just go. Yeah, exactly. So it's really, so the title I would like it to have, which I've also been told you can't pick your own title, which I think is crazy. I think you're the author. Shouldn't you pick the title? But that's a whole nother episode. Um, the extravagant hospitality of St. Dymphna and just mm -hmm. about how, so it just ties into a lot of like hospitality and mental health and, and mm -hmm. what I've learned and unlearned through this journey. Yeah. That's and awesome. How come along beside us. Yeah. Well, keep us posted on that because yeah. if, um, I don't know what your what your publishing plan is for that, but if you want to come on, not that I mean, you could probably find a bigger podcast to uh, to advertise on. But if you wanted to no come way. on and talk about it, or um, yeah, like that would that would be really interesting. I would I would definitely I would definitely have you on, yeah. or or at least read it if you don't have time to come on. <laughs> um, but we could definitely read it and give you a shout out. So um, I love that. I can walk you through the the process of the <laughs> what a mess I've. <laughs> it it's a whole science and art this mm. whole book situation mm. i had no idea that you just wrote a book yeah it's not you know that you just start crazy. writing right well that is how is you that start you yeah, okay that is you just idea. start writing yeah, this is but true. <laughs> i feel like it takes a while what's your how long have you been working on it <sighs> i would say at this point a good two years okay so, okay okay yeah. and is, is the end in sight or is it still it is in sight okay. i am to a part that i am stuck on because of my own stubbornness, which is silly, but I think I'm scared of finishing it. To be mm. honest, I think I'm scared of finishing it. And I know that this next part is like the end. And mm. so it's like, okay, once I finish this, I have to actually do something. Right. So that's right. kind of scary. I'd rather just keep it unfinished, but that's yeah. not exactly what the Lord asked me to do. So <laughs> do you have any, uh, big name friends that you're going to try to get to write, uh, Absolutely. Write little things Absolutely. for you, little blurbs. Yeah, the guys from that Doing Virtue oh, podcast. Oh. <laughs> An excellent yeah. read, says Brian right. from the Doing Virtue podcast. <laughs> Life changing. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to be asking Claire. I'm going to be like, oh, hey. definitely. Yeah. 
Maybe you're you know. about uh, Jason. If you can get. I him know. To read it. Okay. I know Jason. I won't tell about all the dirty diapers in the cry room if you. <laughs> you're like, I actually this. have a lot of stories <laughs> I could include on my next book, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually in the introduction of this book, right. so that's I'm, right. I could take it out, but it's good. <laughs> Ten things you want to know about Jason Everett. Yeah. That's right. That's Just right. A whole re- revelation piece. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and let you go because it's late our time. So actually, it's not as late your time, but still, it's it's been a while. So <laughs> you've hung with us a long time, and we're very thankful for that. Um, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for for coming on. Um, I always kind of commend people for coming on because I always say that I wouldn't come on if someone like me asked them to come on their podcast. I'd be like, no, you guys are, you guys are full of it. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not coming what on. What does that even um, mean? Be nice to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. No, I, I think it's just because if you got, if you get asked to be on a big podcast or you get asked to be on like, Hey, can we get like a 25 minute interview? That's a bit easier to sign up for. But when you're like, we like doing a long format thing and we're kind of a small show and we think you're cool. Like that's a lot harder to say yes to. So the more I that we're see the part where you said you thought I was cool. Is oh, that, I, did I not tell that you that? Coming? Yeah, no, that's that's afterwards, I think. Uh, <laughs> you're like, we just have this empty spot on the calendar. <laughs> right. Um, no, but, but especially for like a, a Skype thing too, it's, it's always better in person. And so I think that people also have like a, a fear of like the tech not working or it being awkward or whatever. So, um, so yeah, just thank you for coming on and, uh, taking some time out of your evening to tell us all about yourself and your podcast and your blog and all the great things you're doing and your upcoming book. So all good things that we're looking forward to. I, it's just so great to sit down and talk with you guys. I really, Julia, just, it was such a y'all's friendship was such a blessing for her. Mm. Just amazing. And, so yeah, I I would do anything for the the Christendom crew. Yeah, I wish it, yeah. I wish it went both ways, but no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And it's also funny. I was thinking today. I was like, even if I only have her on for like 20 minutes, that'll probably be double the amount of time I've ever talked to her. Like we just met at dinner once. Like I really don't know her that well. But and then I was like, no, it's okay. It's Julia's mom. It's just like you're talking to Julia. It's gonna be it's gonna be the exact same thing. It literally, I won't know the difference. It'll be the She's same. She's way smarter. I'm just going to say that right now. Well, I don't know because she declined coming on the podcast. So, well, like I know, said, smarter. she's way smarter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. No, I'm I'm All right, Mrs. Ashbach. Thanks yeah. for coming on. Um, hope you have a good evening. And uh, we're looking forward to all of your upcoming content. And we'll have you back on. Sounds good. Y'all take care. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. This is Doing Virtue. Where virtue is what we do. Cheers. Cheers.